fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Yes, it is the 30-something movie podcast, and we are episode number 400. We're redoing... Yay! Yay! We, we did it. All right, we can, we can end it now. <laughs> all right, that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Thanks everybody. We just, that's all we were shooting for was just getting to the point where we could say 400th episode, yay. Um, yay. Good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. Hey, yeah. you know what? We can't cancel yet because to commemorate this night, I did invite the mariachi band. Oh, excellent. So I got them over off to the side ready to go. Excellent. So we okay. can really recreate these first episodes. All right, we will we will cue them up. All right. I, uh, I'm a cue you. I'm a cue you. Yeah. Okay, good. We're good. Be careful. I don't know how that translates. Uh ah, uh, what oh they're looking at me weird. Anyway. Okay. Right, so, well, we look at you weird anyway, but every um, day. <laughs> every day so what i should have done knowing that this is like going all the way back and how we're going to redo our first recording because the year was 2015 john didn't understand sound and <laughs> thought that it would be a great idea to record in a restaurant with one microphone in the middle of the table uh don't be like john and do that for your podcast if anybody's listening and wants to try out a new podcast don't do that um, but if i was starting with the old opening i should have started with the in a world that in a world a, where middle-aged a, men sit around a table and talk about movies. That's right. It must be a podcast. <laughs> wow. So, so you have so far you've ho- heard the dulcet tones of Jeff Mazuka. Hi. There's those dulcet tones. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Hi, Bo. Hi. How are you doing? Yo. Well, yourself. I'm doing fine. We got a yo from Bo, so that's tradition. And we also have a guest on tonight. Jeff, would you like to introduce the guest? Uh, I would gladly like to introduce our guest. This is my buddy, Kevin Hollerbach, who uh, is is joining us because uh, we are discussing one of his favorite movies, if not favorite movie of all time. Though I will not put those words in his mouth, but the mere fact that he has a personalized jumpsuit on and a proton pack sitting behind him would lead me to believe Ghostbusters is at least in his top five. Yes. Kevin, how are you, man? I'm, I'm fantastic, man. Thanks for having me. Sure, really appreciate absolutely. it. <laughs> absolutely. So I got to ask, Kevin, because I have forced my family into doing the cosplay bit uh, when we yeah. go to like C2E2 and stuff like that. Do you ever go to C2E2? Uh, actually, let's see, 2019, the couple weeks before this whole COVID thing started yep. was uh, my first C2E2. Oh, and nice. I was, actually, I was actually inducted into... The Windy City Ghostbusters uh, on the main floor. So, excellent, excellent. Yeah. I I may have seen you there. I've been going every year since what 2012, 2013. 
Oh yeah. You, you probably saw a lot of us on, I think it was a Saturday. There were about 40 to 50 of us Okay. on the floor. So you yeah. couldn't, could not bump into a Ghostbuster. Nice. All right. So, so let's start there, Kevin, what are the Windy City Ghostbusters? So the Windy City Ghostbusters are a right now, actually, we just became a 501-3C charitable organization. So we raise money um, for La Robita's Children's Hospital. Uh, we do charity events. We do anything from birthday parties, uh, parades, uh, anything you can think of where you can um, give money towards La Robita and you can have some Ghostbusters show up and we, we have fun. We bring presents uh, for the kids and Hang out and have a good time, man. Whatever it takes to, to raise money. So, Very cool. That's excellent. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we have got, uh, we, like I said earlier, we are, it's our 400th episode. We decided as a nice uh, milestone for this that we would go back and we would re-record the infamous, uh, is that infamous? I think it's infamous. infamous. It's infamous. Just- Infamous. It's, they're not just famous. They're infamous. 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 So we have had, I mean, we have, we've told this the, story a, a plethora, plethora of times. Of episodes. Yeah, we've, a plethora of times we've told this story about how our very first recording did not go according to plan and the audio, not so great. Um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, though, if you're one of our co-executive producers over there, you have access to those three episodes and you'll be able to hear those um, if you go on there. And if you're supporting at any, le- any level on there, you've got access to those as well as our monthly bonus episodes we put out. Um, but that's the kind of traditional story of why there's no episode one. It's not because I want to be George Lucas and I want to start the numbering like further on and then you know make prequels. But uh, so we decided it would be a good idea to re-record these and that would be our 400th episode extravaganza. So tonight you have uh, in, in your hot little iPhone or Android phone or whatever you're listening to this on, you are going to get a whopping three movies this episode because we are going to talk about Ghostbusters. We're going to talk about Gremlins and we're going to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so that's what we've got on the docket for you this time around. Gentlemen, are we ready to bust some ghosts? Let's do it, man. Ain't afraid of no ghosts. Always. <laughs> All right. So yeah. love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. <laughs> that's we're going to, we're going to get into that. I mean, this movie in particular, I think sometimes becomes a bit of a quote thon for us because it's, it's, we've already said, I think when we talked about it the first time, it's such a quotable movie that I'm, what when I was looking at these three movies and I was trying to pull some notes together and things like that, I'm like, all right, I have a ton of quotes that I want to talk about for Ghostbusters gremlins. <laughs> eh, I mean, I got the, there's the Christmas story and then there's the three rules. Nightmare, Mark, on, why? Nightmare on Elm street. Yeah. I got a couple of quotes here and there, but one, two, Freddy's coming. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm glad Pat's not here. Cause he'd be wetting himself right now. If you started doing yeah. that. So, but Ghostbusters is the, I mean, that, that is the one I think, I don't know. I I must use a quote from Ghostbusters at least once, if not multiple times a week. And actually the one you, you, the one you pulled out just now, Jeff, I use all the time. I was going to say, once you, once you get to a certain level of, um, of, um, office time, the, uh, that's a great plan. I'm happy to be part of it is something you can pull out. I, I mean, I, I feel like the higher I feel like Maybe. the higher I've risen in in like education, the more Indeed. I end up using that quote. So and the more you, you mean slap it, someone right before you say it. I, I mm. do sometimes. You certainly want to, whether you do or not. Well, right. I'm going to let that 
Also true. Also true. <laughs> it, it depends on who's sitting nearby. Indeed. So the first movie we're going to tackle this time around is Ghostbusters. It is. It came out on the 8th of June, 1984, rated PG, with a runtime of 1 hour 45 minutes, directed by Ivan Reitman, who did Twins and Dave. Uh, producer on this one was also Ivan Reitman, who did Heavy Metal and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Writers for this one were Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, who died in 2014, and Rick Moranis. Aykroyd did the writing for Blues Brothers and Spies Like Us. Doctor? Doctor. Doctor. Doctor, Doctor. R.I.P. Ivan Reitman recently. Yes, 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 actually. Um, Yeah, I forgot to put that one down. Um, And then Ramus did the writing for Caddyshack and Back to School. Moranis did SCTV and Strange Brew. Music for this one was done by Elmer Bernstein, who died in 2004. He also did the music for Far From Heaven and The Magnificent Seven. Cinematography was done by Laszlo Kovacs who died in 2007, did Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces. A lot of easy stuff there. Um, hmm. Editor editor was David E. Blewett, who died in 2010, and Sheldon <laughs> Kahn. Are you making fun of his name? No. Uh, I thought of something equally funny just at the very same moment you said Blewett. Oh, okay. Exactly. Uh, so let's see. Blewett did Flatliners and the Smooth Criminal segment of m- the Moonwalker movie. And then Khan did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Out of Africa. The budget was $30 million. The box office was $295.2 million. So it, it made a tiny bit of coin back there. Uh, Flick Metrics gives this one a 77%. That's a combination of Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterboxd. And then CinemaScore did not have a score for this one. Uh, this one was starring Bill Murray as Dr. Peter Venkman. He was in Lost in Translation and What About Bob? Dan Aykroyd was Dr. Ray Stance. He was in Blues Brothers and My Girl. Sigourney Weaver was Dana Barrett. She was in Alien and Gorillas in the Mist. Harold Ramis was Dr. Egon Spangler. He was in Baby Boom and SCTV. Rick Moranis was Louis Tully. He was in Spaceballs and Little Shop of Horrors. Annie Potts was Janine Melnitz. She was in Pretty in Pink and Toy Story 4. William Atherton played Walter Peck. He was in Die Hard and Real Genius. Ernie Hudson was Winston Zedmore. He was in The Crow and a TV series called The Family Business. David Margulies, who died in 2016, played the mayor. He was in Ace Ventura and Dressed to Kill. Stephen Tash played a, the male student uh, who gets shocked by Dr. Fankman. He was in Beach Balls and Christine. Jennifer Runyon played the female student who does not get shocked by Dr. Peter Fankman. Uh, She was in Up the Creek and A Very Brady Christmas. Michael Ensign plays the hotel manager. He was in War Games and Titanic. Alice Drummond, who died in 2016, played the librarian. She was also in Ace Ventura and Awakenings. Uh, Jordan Charney played Dean Yeager. He was in Network and Hill Street Blues. And Slavitsa Jovan played Gozer, and she was in Body Double and House on Haunted Hill. After the members of a team of scientists lose their cushy positions at a university in New York City, they decide to become Ghostbusters to wage a high-tech battle with the supernatural for money. They stumble upon a gateway to another dimension, a doorway that will release evil upon the city. The Ghostbusters must now save New York from complete destruction. Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. Ghostbusters. 
says. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. Do you want this body? Is this a trick question? <laughs> Stick. Hold. Heat up. Smoke. Make him hard. Ready. Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. All right, so first question for this one. What are some of your earliest memories of Ghostbusters? Oh, man. So uh, the earliest memories, and they're still with, like, they're still with me today. So when I was young, my father would show me these movies, uh, and he was like, hey, son, let's go. Ghostbusters, here we go. Um, It started right in the beginning with The Great Lady. The one, two, three getter. As soon as that, you could, I could still pause that and have that on my TV, and it's still just, it's unnerving to look at. So as a little kid, you're kind of like, oh, this is off to a rocky start, man. Um, just yeah, fond memories watching that with my dad being scared of my dad, but then, you know, taking that journey through the movie with the guys, um, getting their equipment with them, and. Um, Definitely the next thing that would would be on the list were the terror dogs. Uh, they still they still show up in my dreams every once in a while. Do you ever have those dreams where you can't um, you can't run as fast as you would like to? And then picture when the the terror dog crossed the street chasing after Lewis into Central Park. Uh, that's still with me today. I still that still shows up in my dreams. So you like the haunting stuff is still with me, but, um, just seeing the proton packs for the first time, the, the shots of echo coming out of the the firehouse for their first call at the the hotel, it turns into good stuff. Started with awful stuff and then turned into good stuff, but, uh, it's, it's more the good stuff now. (laughs) So Kevin, how old were you the first time you saw it? Oh my God. Oh, I was a young pup. Um, Probably I had to be, I was born in 83, so couldn't have been more than 10. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. My dad started showing me the the more adult movie, <laughs> you know, um, when I was like 10 plus. So Ghostbusters was definitely one of the first ones he showed me. And man, it was, it was scary. You heard the, the, tra- uh, the trailer it rated what PG. Yeah. And back then. 
Yeah, no, PG, man, that, that that was pretty that was pretty messed up for PG, man. <laughs> well, that's what and that we'll be talking about that a little bit more as we get over to Gremlins here in just a little bit because that yeah. was it was around this time that they didn't have PG thirteen and it was Gremlins and uh, Temple of Doom were the two yes. movies that were kind of the reason for the PG thirteen rating. Um, so what about uh, what about some of your other guys? How old were you when you first saw it, Jeff? How old were you when you first saw it, Jeff? Did you see it in the theater? I think I remember you did. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. And I would have been, God, how old would I have been? This came out in what year? 84. 84. So I would have been six. What the hell were my parents thinking taking me to this? <laughs> um, what was but a I, PG and, movie? And I remember sitting like two rows ahead of them. And I made it as far as the one, two, three getter. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the the ghost turns and screams and i think that's when i just literally like flew out of my seat went back and sat next to my parents for the rest of the movie your parents thought it was a 3d movie because they heard the scream and then something came at them <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah no i but i, I remember i this was a a movie theater experience for me okay. and it sticks with you yeah. i mean not just because of those moments where like you're freaked the hell out because you're a small child seeing a movie you probably shouldn't see but just that you know there's something about this movie there's there's a there was a charm to it i think that uh often goes unmentioned but there's a charm to it that uh, it there it brings a I don't know, like a, a comfort so when you watch it, you you don't think of the frightening moments. You think of the the, the feel good moments that come out of this movie, which makes it a lot more rewatchable, I think. But yeah, I uh, I was I saw it in the theater. Didn't see it in the theater. I was a little young, even for even for that. But um, it would have been something we rented. I I feel like ever since I was six or seven, um, for sure. While we never took it quite to the extent that Kevin has, there are pictures uh, from Halloween's aplenty. Um, those of us who know Lake Forest know the wooden path that takes you from what I call ground level down to the beach. There may have been some ghosts that needed hunting on that path one Halloween. And there are some pictures. My, my grandmother was uh humored us and dressed up as a ghost with this bee hat thing it was it was good times good times please tell me you yelled getter and then ran after oh i'm sure we did okay. I, I don't recall the exact words that were used yeah. but if i know us that that happened yeah well that's I've, I've been on that path before and depending on the the lighting and the time of day it can mm -hmm. be a little creepy yeah Especially back then, they hadn't cut back as much of the overgrowth back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Get her. Get that was your whole plan. <laughs> the whole Get plan. her. Get her. Get her. Uh, Dennis, um, so you probably saw this when you were in college or? I was 43 when I saw this. You were 43 we when you saw it? That's better. At the theater when it first okay. came out. Yeah. They, you already get the senior discount? <laughs> Uh, and yeah, see, as AR, George the Twenty ARP. Yeah. Um, I was, I was uh 13 when I when this came out. Okay. Uh, I was uh, eighth grade, probably eighth grade. Uh, at the theater, big family thing. All my brothers, 
Uh, it was a def- my dad. This was definitely a movie right up my dad's alley that would have been like, hey, family, everybody hop in the, uh, um, the station wagon. We're going to the theater. So I remember it being a very crowd, very busy, crowded theater at the time. And it was back in those days that people always would respond and, you know, applaud. And there was a pause, I think, at the end. There was, it was, it was a very, it was like a roller coaster ride. It was like going to Great America. It was just a fun movie. I was at the age where I was not, you know, afraid of everything, but it had definitely a spooky chill to it at the beginning, like you guys would say. So I, so I could see how if you're a younger person, they would have maybe that impact on you, like we're more fear. But uh, this was just like, hey, good fun, good fun ride. And uh, I got was old enough to get jokes too and get some of the innuendo, and so it was kind of like probably the perfect age, I think, for me to go see it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember when the first time was I saw it. I, I would have been young because I know my dad loved Bill Murray movies um, and Blues yeah. Brothers. I mean, we watched Blues Brothers on repeat um, when I was a kid. So anything with Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, any of those guys, um, we would have watched at a pretty young age. So I would imagine I was probably somewhere around six or seven the first time I saw this. I would have been about four when it came out. Um but yeah, it's probably about six or seven. It would have been a it would have been a rental. Um, we wouldn't have gone to see it in the theater. The time that I do uh, the the only time I've seen this in the theater on the big screen was in the middle of COVID. Um, they were doing all kinds of stuff to like do some drive-in movies in downtown Chicago, and they actually did a drive-in movie. Uh, I think it was a, a charity was set up and did a drive-in movie in downtown Chicago, just on the other side of Soldier Field in October of 2020 and I took my son to go see it because he had not seen this one yet and so I was like all right well I want him to see it on the big screen and drive-ins are fun let's go do a drive-in so we did that it was it was really cool it was a lot of fun to see it that way Um, but that would have been the first time I saw it on the big screen but same as you guys I know as a kid I was terrified of this movie Um, you know there are plenty of funny moments Um, Slimer was always funny, and I know as a kid, I kind of mixed this in with, oh, yeah, there's that Ghostbusters cartoon that I watched, too. Um, Characters are a little different. Seems kind of weird, but um, ah, it's pretty close. So I'm sure I mixed some of this. er, At an early age, I'm sure I mixed some of this movie with the Ghostbusters cartoon in my brain. Um, But, no, I was always terrified of the beginning of this movie. So I never really wanted my parents, if we rented it, never wanted them to start it from the beginning. Cause the library scene absolutely scared me to death. Um, we could just skip that part. And I remember the end, uh, was always pretty scary too. I was not a huge fan of, of Gozer as a little kid. So I was perfectly happy to skip that part. Marshmallow man, totally fine. I will, uh, I'm on board for that, but not the other stuff. So let me ask you this, because a lot of times, and I think the first time we, we talked about this movie, I mean, obviously we jump into the quotes, we jump into the funny scenes, we jump into all that stuff. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you guys is, what about the story? Because the story of this, the, the screenplay, the script, is written by, you know, three guys that know what they're doing. Um, you know, we said it was Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Rick Moranis. So these are funny guys. Um and I was almost going to quote El Guapo there from, these are funny guys. Um, so how does the story of this hold up for you? I mean, let's, I mean, the comedy obviously is there. Story-wise, does the story, is it a solid story for you? And I, I heard an interesting way to sum up this story uh, just a few days ago when I was looking up some other stuff. Somebody said, hey, you can sum this whole thing up by saying it's a snobs versus slobs story. And I was like, huh. Yeah, I guess it is. 
So I I thought that was kind of an interesting way to sum that up. But story itself, does it hold up for you? Is it a solid story, even if it wasn't a comedy? I think so. I I think that um, it's I think it's an underdog story. Right. I mean, when you really take the details out of it. I never took it as an underdog story. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's kind of what it is, though, right? Wouldn't you say the 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 band of Ghostbusters are kind of the underdogs, and they're, you know, they're they're trying to figure it out and, and get their get their moment. Um, to me, it's a bunch of guys start a business. They get really busy. Uh, nobody believes them, and then they save the day. They that's it. I mean, to me, that's what it feels like. I mean, that might boil down to like maybe an underdog story, but it's, it's always been pretty simple to me. Like these guys go into business for themselves and they actually start a business. Um, It, it always jumped out at me how, how they, they, they advanced everything, but they didn't know what they were doing. The elevator scene in the hotel, when they fire up the proton pack for the first time, they didn't even, they couldn't even test, field test the equipment. So they have no idea what the, these backpacks are going to do. Are they going to blow up the city? Who knows? But uh, it's always been just like friends start their own business because they were backed into a corner after losing their jobs, their real jobs. And they said, hey, what if we can make some money? Their snarky friend said, what if we can make some money doing, doing this for real? And uh that's how it's always been to me. It's always been kind of inspiring. I don't want to say inspiring, but like, yeah, kind of inspiring. Like, yeah, average Joes could do this, could start a business and and be successful, even though a lot of people may not believe you. You know what I mean? But they, they will believe you. Well, I think that's why I think it does fit a little bit of that underdog description because it is. It's like, they were failing at other things. They start this thing, and at some point, people, you know, and, and what's on the line, you know, the world, you know, at the end. And they even with the crossing of the streams, and like at any point, you don't know if these guys are going to fail. I mean, we we kind of get the idea that they aren't, but it's set up to where like no one knows if they'll actually succeed and save the world. They can still they still have doubt. They're still kind of new at this. They're still trying to figure it out as they go. But you're always pulling for them like the other dogs who weren't really respected. And then eventually at the end, they kind of seem like they've got that respect and and, uh, and they saved the world. And now they're at the top, you know. So I, I think it does kind of fit a little bit of a sports comparison. Not necessarily sports, but like the whole underdog. Don't think that they can do it. You know, they were, they, uh, and in the end, they do. So it's definitely got components of the, you know, us versus the man sort of thing. You know, the man mm-hmm. boots me out of the university. The, the EPA and the cops shut us down and put us in jail. We have to go plead our case to the mayor. And after the mayor's done talking to the rotting corpse of Fiorella LaGuardia, everything turns around for him, you know, and, and Bill Murray gets to make that speech about dogs and cats living together. And that's like the rallying cry of the troops. And, you know, it's, it's definitely got some of that to it for sure. Yeah, that's why I thought it was interesting when I was reading that thing a couple of days ago and they said this is a uh, slobs versus snobs story. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way of putting it because it's, I mean, these guys, it's like the, 
you know, you don't want to say slobs for like the everyman, but it's really like the everyman and everybody that they're up against is the, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, it's the snobby, snooty, uh, um, well, yeah, ho- hotel the manager. Snob. Yeah. It's the hotel manager. It's the EPA mm-hmm. guy. It's the mayor. It's the, I mean, I'm worried everybody. about what you do here. <laughs> what you people do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's that fun, um, it's it's the fun everyman story that it could be like you said it could be any average joe could go do this and i think you know even from the beginning of the movie you've got the three guys that are the scientists um and then you've got when winston shows up it's like even more so he's like he has no clue he doesn't know anything about the science he's like dude i'm just does here for pay? a paycheck yeah <laughs> i i really just does it pay all right, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll believe whatever you want me I'll to believe. I'll believe whatever you tell me to There's believe. There's a steady paycheck involved. I'll believe anything you say. <laughs> there it is. So, yeah, so, I mean, I think the the story, because it's funny, I've, I've read some different criticisms of the movie, and some of the criticisms I've seen are, but the interesting thing is it's younger people who are seeing this movie pretty far beyond the 80s. And some of their criticisms are, man, this man, this, this movie is so is slow, slow and it's boring and there's no story to it. It's just a bunch of like jokes that aren't funny. And I'm like, okay, first of all, um, apparently you've been living the story of a man named Kevin Bacon and you're in a town where people put sticks up their butts. Um, I don't know why they would do that, but apparently they did. And then that's when you went to go watch Ghostbusters. Uh, Kevin Bacon's a legend on earth. <laughs> uh, what about, so we've talked a little bit about this uh, kind of at the beginning there, but what about the music itself? How does the music, the score, the soundtrack, how does that help support the the script, the visuals, the cinematography, just everything about this movie? Because um, I, I think when you when you read some different reviews on this and the reviews over the years, you will hear people say, like, this is a near-perfect movie. It is, the story is, I mean, the acting is, is the acting is fine. It's great. The, the, the guys are funny. They're hilarious. The music is awesome. The, you know, everything. It's just one of these movies that's an almost perfect movie. Um, how does the music help that, do you feel? So, okay, so you guys are going to kind of think I'm very strange here. Um be oh, fair, I already do, in, Kevin. You already, yeah, you already do. So that's cool. Uh, I was gonna say, I, I don't, I don't even know you, Kevin, but you're in good company. So um, there's a there's a, a difference between young Kevin with Ghostbusters and older Kevin now with Ghostbusters. Um, at the time, of course, I had the cassette tape um, and played it into the ground. Um, when I was when I was young, I still remember not liking the main theme to Ghostbusters, the Ray Parker, and and older Kevin now. Really, I hear it, and it's just like, oh man, I don't know. It just sounds cheap to me. But you're in regards to your question, it was almost kind of like the perfect song for that movie. Um, and along with what the thing I like now over the. Uh, actual like the soundtrack are the orchestral scores that those are what hit more now like the themes Peter Venkman's theme and Dana Barrett's theme and all that stuff like those the little piano cues you have in some of the, the music 
that they brought in again with the newer movie that they they, they revisit um those hit good because those were really well done and those stick with me um it's just that the 80s soundtrack man those songs don't hold up for me <laughs> or the theme song still um but definitely you can't have ghost ghostbusters without that theme song it's iconic uh because if you were just to play the orchestral scores for people, they wouldn't know what it is. Obviously, like hardcore fans and stuff would be like, oh, yeah, that's when, uh, you know, Dana Barrett does X, Y, Z. Um, but the theme song is still probably one of the best, probably for a movie ever written. <laughs> so that's my take on it. When I think of music in this movie, <clears throat> of course, the first thing that comes to mind is is the Ghostbusters theme song, right? But, you know, take that away. And the other piece that really stands out in my mind is the the underscore of the the montage of the mm. uh, of the spirits being released. I, be I believe in magic, right? Is it that yeah, one? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And just like, breathe, breathe. Yeah. Scott, breathe. you just see the orbs like flowing out of the building. Yeah, and you have like the orange like yeah. wisps throughout the sky i still you know i the hairs on the back of my neck will still stand up when that scene comes on when i hear that music and i'm watching those visuals there's something about the the uncomfortableness i think of that i think it's because for the movie didn't they they changed it because that's when dana stands up at her window and the window blasts out right mm -hmm. it has that it has that 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 stringed instrument that that just keeps going rising in tone and rising in tone creating that uneasy feeling and mm -hmm. like a sense of dread, like, Oh snap, things are now real in this world, in this city. And this, everybody's screwed now. It was just, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I mean that, that piece of music just really stands out to me all the time. When I, anytime I think music in ghostbusters, like I said, outside of the Ray Parker jr. Ghostbusters theme, like my mind goes to that specific moment in the film and I can hear it. And I still like just, in my head right now, I'm hearing it. I'm getting chills. Can you see the taxi driver? I don't want to. <laughs> I can. I see Dennis driving right now, and it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> well, I had, even as a kid, I was I was hooked on the Ray Parker theme. I had, um, I had this little record player that my parents had bought me for my room. And it had the adapter to play the little 45 like singles that you could get. And so I had the, uh, it was the Ghostbusters theme, the, the 45 single of the Ghostbusters theme. And I used to play that thing nonstop on my little record player. And so I, I probably is like a, even before I saw the movie, I think I had that record before I had even seen the movie. So it was, I mean, it was just embedded in my brain from that moment. Some of the other fun stuff, you know, you get the you get the scenes of them like um, when they're running out of the library, you know, and you've got some of the music uh, that's playing there. You've got the um, I, I do love that, like you said, the orchestral pieces. Just some of like the little the little themes, the little motifs that are playing when they're just working on stuff or they're just walking around. It's that little dun 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 that little dun 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 dun, dun and just when they're like walking places or just talking about stuff, just that fun little um, kind of theme that plays underneath everything. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, especially as you get further on into the movie and you get that, that just 
booming uh, theme every time you cut back to Dana Barrett's building. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just I love that piece as you get further on into it. But yeah, love the love the music in this movie. Did David W. Collins do an episode about Ghostbusters? I don't remember. It is. Uh, he did. He did uh, back in October of 2018. Ghostbusters, the music. All right. I'm going to have to go re-listen to that one. Yeah. Um, so, I, Kevin, if you're not familiar with that one, like we kind of yeah. have all fallen in love with this with this podcast, and he just he dissects the m- music of movies and video games, and um, oh, very interesting. He is a. I mean, he's been pretty much involved in like the oh, some of the scoring and some of the sound editing for um, the Mandalorian. He's he's been with Lucasfilm for forever. Um, Luke, uh, Lucas Arts. He did a lot of video game stuff back in the like '90s and stuff like that. But um, we've kind of ever since he started his show, uh, I used to listen to him when he was on the, uh, star Wars podcast and he would, you know, kind of break down all the star Wars movies. But since then he's created his own show called the soundtrack show. And he will go through and he will just take apart. Uh, he did Casablanca, the Goonies, Raiders of the lost Ark. I mean, all the stuff that we love. Um, but yes, I mean, uh, it was back, back in 2018. Yeah, yeah. Back to the future. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff, send me, uh, send me some info. Yeah. We'll do man. The, uh, via the interwebs yeah i got you yeah it was a two-parter he back in october of 2018 he did okay. ghostbusters the music part one and part two all right yeah cool yeah i thought so but yeah it's been a while so seems like a good time to go back and listen again yeah all right so here's a question that's going to take a probably a long time uh to answer and we've already done this a little bit what's your favorite scene in this movie Oh, so I, re- many. I reject your oh. question. Oh, I have, I have two, two. That's two okay. Jeff will have six, so that's okay. Shut <laughs> up, John. I just have two. Um, the scene that always gets me, and it has nothing. It's nothing Ghostbusters related. Well, it's like to the story, but it's when the the car pulls up, and Ray explains to Peter what needs to be done about the car, and you see Venkman's face reacting to all the things they're going to have to pay for it gets me every time and i i love it um the second see you could probably break it down two or three little sub scenes but the whole hotel scene chasing slimer but there's one little moment which is why it would go like 2a um there's a shot of egon and he's blasting the bar in the main ballroom. And you you get a sense. It's a wonderful, just violent shot of him. It's just him. And he's trying to hold the wand. And you get a sense of the... the, uh, the like, the, the violence with the packs. I've always been drawn to, like, the aesthetic part of Ghostbusters. Like, I love the, the look of the proton packs and when they're firing it and you just get a sense of how unstable these things are. And, and uh, I don't know, it, it's just a beautiful shot and I just love it. And it's my favorite sub scene out of the whole hotel scene. Cause you, yeah, they, the introduction of the equipment, the audience doesn't know what's going on with it. They don't know what's going on with it. All you hear is the sound. And before they blast the, uh, they almost killed the, the maid. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, 
you get a, a, a an okay visual of of how nasty these things are, and then going after Slimer with Ray. But then there's that shot of Egon, man, and he's just ripping apart the bar and with the oh 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 hold the text, <laughs> um, man, it, I just it, it gets me every time. I love it. I love it. And it's something that they lost as the movies progress. The the unstableness of this stuff. It's just lost. And and that really hammered it down for me. So yeah. yeah. That was the cool shot as a kid, man. Well, that's <laughs> a, before everybody else talks about their scenes, uh, that's probably the perfect time for you to show off your proton pack. Um, oh. Uh, the, oh, the folks, the folks listening to audio won't be able to see this. Maybe I can maybe I'll I'll, get to hear that sound. I'll, I'll take a screenshot here so we can Switch see me it. on. Yeah. So yeah, I built all of this. Uh, let's see. Where is she? Where is she? There we go. There you go. Yeah, she's nice. about uh, 25 pounds. Uh, met all metal parts, electronics in there. Uh, took a better part of a year to do. Did the wand, the barrel, barrel extends here. You got the twist grip, like in the movie, and then uh, switches light up. You got your bar graphs. It's mostly metal and resin. And then the firing button. Uh, yeah, it was, I think, uh, I think my wife every day that she, uh, that I get to be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> that she, because uh, this was an investment. Uh, it's not just the Proton Pack. It's also, obviously, the flight suit I'm wearing. It's got my name on it. Uh, I've got patch here and then the Windy City patch. Nice. Uh, also, the, the 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 pistol belt, complete with the uh, Motorola. What was it? A T five fifty something radio. Yeah, uh, big big old boy. Ooh man, that thing weighs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that. You got that on the belt. I have a three D printed trap, which is downstairs. That thing weighs seven six seven pounds. Uh, then you have the. Um, what is it from Ghostbusters 2? They wore the yellow, uh, almost like a life alert type thing on their belts. Uh, when firefighters would fall and not move for a little bit, it lets out an ungodly beep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you got that on there. And yeah, the whole the whole outfit, man, it really weighs you down. Um, the the most fun part about wearing it, though, is was figuring out how to use a porta potty with all this stuff. Mm. Uh, at, at the uh at a chicago parade in 2019 as well uh yeah but i i i'm very i consider myself very lucky that i get to to do this for charity man get to dress up like this so it's still turning heads it's incredible you guys you guys' jaws will be on the floor how many kids come around the corner and see us standing there full lights and sounds and their smiles light up before the parents can smile you know, it's uh, so a lot of parents are doing doing a good job showing their kids Ghostbusters. Uh, my kid loves it. Uh, he has his own little proton pack from Spirit Halloween. And, you know, he runs around and goes and catches ghosts. And it's just incredible, man, like how this legacy of this movie, the stupid little comedy movie about guys catching ghosts is it's still going. It's still going, man. And a lot of fans of the original one and. The new one did good uh, to bring in some new fans, and it's just been it's just been awesome. So, John, I'm I'm going to stall the progress of this show, and I just want to follow up with Kevin real fast. Oh. 
what what is it about Ghostbusters? You know, I mean, there are so many movies out there that, you know, people cling to and, and go to and it's formative for them for some reason. So, but man, the, the way you've taken your love of this movie to the nth degree, what is it about this movie for you that just landed so strongly? So I think the the main thing about it is, and I tell a lot of people this, <clears throat> uh, anybody can be a Ghostbuster. Anybody. Anybody can be. Doesn't matter what size you are, what shape you are what race you are like that doesn't have anything to do with it but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who you are you get a flight suit man you strap on a proton pack you are a ghostbuster it's and you have when you have multiple people standing around in proton packs there really is a team feeling there really is a togetherness um you really feel like you are on the job and i don't know it just Watching the movie, you just feel like anybody can do it. And, and the the girls' movie, um, the one in 2016, really gave females, little girls, looking at it going, oh, I can be a Ghostbuster too. Give me a proton pack, Mom. Instead of playing with dolls, she's strapping on a proton pack. Like, I don't know. It's just that inclusivity about it. Um I, I love that, you know, you can always go back and watch the, the rewatchability of these movies and um, the cartoons. It's just, like I said before, man, it, it's, it's still going. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I didn't expect it to last this long. Um, but there really is that inclusivity, like I was talking about, man. You, you put on a flight suit and nothing else matters. I mean, people, the smiles you get from people, um to be a ghostbuster it's nothing beats that man not so so i gotta ask you because you said you can you can be any race you could be any size yeah when you get all the guys together do the bigger guys all stand around and go hey guys suck in the guts oh my god every <laughs> photo we take it's always like you gotta do that like you gotta look kind of look like a superhero but like then there's that moment kind of right before they snap the picture you just let it out Cause you're like, who cares? Who cares? Look at Dan Aykroyd, man. Like in the second movie, he was a little hefty dude. And like that one shot where they're like sucking the guts, boys were the ghostbusters. They all kind of like, you kind of see them do it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. Every photo we take, man, it's always like, suck it in, suck it in. But the, um, wearing the packs and the belts, it kind of helps hide it a little bit. So, in the khaki or black, I think I have two khaki and I have a black flight suit. The black is definitely more slimming. <laughs> so I'll wear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear that. But um, usually when you, you slap the flight suit on, you kind of forget about what shape and size you are. You know, you kind of get lost with it. You got all this equipment on. You feel awesome. You don't have to feel like Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man, they all wear those like spandex onesies. You know how every little thing is going to show. You don't got to worry about that with this. You know, I have, for God's sakes, I have my flight suit tucked into 11 inch paratrooper side zip boots. You know, I'm going to look goofy, but then you throw it away. You're like, who cares, man? We're the Ghostbusters. Like, we roll up and everybody wants to take pictures and hang out and talk to you and look at the gear and hold it, you know, and especially the kids. Like, kids like look look at look at like 
we look like a mountain range of people. We have some people that are, that should be cosplaying as Groot or a Wookiee that are wearing a flight suit. Or um, there's there's some people that are handicapped that strap a pack to the back of their wheelchair. And look at that. That's inspiring other people to 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 get into this line of work and and dress as a Ghostbuster. Like who cares? You don't have to look like Captain America all the time. You can look like normal people. Look at me, for God's sake. I'm not, I'm not Chris Hemsworth, but you know, I feel like, you know, I feel like a, uh, an action hero, you know, when you slap on all this stuff and it's just, it's fantastic, man. It's, it'll never get old. Dressing is a good, you know, almost 40 years old. You get to dress like a Ghostbuster. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, that's awesome. Now, I don't know if you said this yet or not. How heavy is the proton pack? Uh, last time I weighed her, she was, uh, almost 25 pounds. Okay. All right. Yeah. It has a nice, uh, kidney. It's attached to a, what's called a, an Alice frame. Um, I don't know how you hear. So it's attached to this back here and she's got a kidney pad on there that protects like the small of your back. Um, so it really doesn't feel that heavy when you're wearing it and you kind of cinch up the uh, the shoulder straps to bring the pack up a little bit and make yourself look, you know, like, like the normal look of a Ghostbuster. But after wearing it at a con or wearing it for a parade and walking through Chicago with it, it kind of takes its toll on your shoulders. <laughs> but uh, so yeah. you, you alluded to the, to the different versions of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Are, you, are you a fan of fan of all, or do you do any of anything stand out about them? And you're like, eh, not really this one. Uh, so when the, the, the Ghostbusters so, 2, so there's is, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, the all female one, yes. there's afterlife, there's two cartoons, and then there's the cameo appearance in Casper, the, uh, Casper movie. Yes. Um, you can say I'm a fan of all of it. Now is all of it good? No, but I like to look at the bigger picture of what the lasting effects of those movies were um and the girls one gets a lot of flack i i understand why i have my my problems with it as well but i look what it did for our group and for some people uh that are friends of my wife's um their little girls dress up as a ghostbuster i mean they they don't necessarily not every girl is gonna wear the girl's flight suit and the use the girls proton pack but they're wearing a proton pack like it had an impact on somebody you know what i mean for the positive had a lot of negative <laughs> um <laughs> but uh I, I'm, I'm trying to look at the the positive things about it um because i love this franchise so much uh and yeah i i, I like the good that it did you know to see to see little girls uh rocking you know the 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 weird pro, proton packs that they had in the girls movie uh and come up and take pictures with us that that shows a lot and and it shows a lot for my group not to exclude um the girls movie because i know it gets really dicey in this uh fandom it, it can get ugly real quick when that movie's brought up but uh we pride ourselves on being inclusive you know with with all forms of media for Ghostbusters. Now, the best cartoon 
see again i'm i'm very sentimental my own age and i'm very kind of, kind of not soft but again looking at the the lasting effects like extreme ghostbusters you had a ghostbuster who was in a wheelchair you know what does that say for children with disabilities grown men with disabilities like it did a lot it showed that again hammering the fact that anybody can be a ghostbuster it doesn't matter and that's what i like about this franchise man that's why i rocked the patch on my arm you know because if you look there's if you go through facebook and do a facebook search there's ghostbuster factions all over the united states all over the country and all over other countries too there's different factions of ghostbusters and it doesn't matter if you're Proton Pack is movie accurate. I hate that. <laughs> um, you know, you built it yourself. You did the thing that they did. You know, you put your heart and soul into it, and that reflects uh, on the franchise and what it's built thus far. And I think that's huge, man, because I don't think there's a whole lot of franchises outside of Marvel and Star Wars and, you know, DC that can say, like, yeah, we, we're all over the planet, man. It's, it's just in there and all these factions are, are, are using this to do good, to, to raise money and to help out. And it's, it's fantastic, man. Well, that's awesome. I think <laughs> pulling the positive out of every, every version of this is a really good way to go. So yeah. kudos, kudos to you and your crew for, for doing what you do with it. Thanks man. Cause it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole of the negative. Woo, man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> That's what I mean, and that's what we always try to do on here. Is we try to be, even if we don't like something, we try to be positive about it. You know, and, and right. being being a Star Wars fan, I mean, I've got oh. you know, you you said, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Try trying to be a Star Wars fan just in the last, I don't know, what six seven years, yeah, and, tr it's tough, and try to be man. positive <laughs> about stuff like, you know, do I do I love do I love every movie that's come out? No, um, I mean, I I love the the eight movies that did come out, um. I'm positive that there were movies that I did not enjoy. I, I'm positive I did. Yeah, I'm I'm positive I did not enjoy um, episode nine, Rise of My Blood Pressure. But um, I do have, uh, like you, I don't have like the heavy duty equipment that you do. But I've got, you know, I've got uh, Jedi robes. I've got a Luke Skywalker costume. I've got three lightsabers up on the wall over here. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I've got the, you know, I've got my own uh, costume stuff, and it's just. I'm like, why, why spend so much time tearing down stuff that other people enjoy? Just enjoy what you enjoy. You know, right. it's what, what is, uh, what does Pat always say guys? We he's, he's don't yuck somebody else's yum. Yeah. Yeah. That's always Pat's phrase and more, more, whatever, more, or better. So more say, Star Trek, more better. He'd yeah. say more Star Wars, more better, more Ghostbusters, more better. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of our thing. That's our, our little, uh, motto here on the show. If we had one is just try to keep it positive because i mean even if you don't like something somebody else probably does yeah and get into that like um i run into a lot of this on the facebook groups of ghostbusters they go well is this okay like here's my proton pack is this okay and they get torn to shreds so i try to leave a nice message be like man you know what kudos to you you put something new on the proton pack that wasn't there in the movies who cares like, it's about evolution of a franchise, right? Some guy, it, it reminded me of, I had a nice conversation with some guy. He, he built a proton pack from scratch. 
and I made a comment where I'm like, it looks like a 1960s vacuum, like the parts and pieces. And he, he then unveiled his whole costume piece, but it was it, like a World War II bomber jacket. And he had this whole backstory written where it was a, a B-17 fighter pilot that crash landed and the whole thing ended up being a Ghostbuster in the end run. But he built his own pack out of it and it reflected on that type of a storyline. And he was getting so much flack for coming up with something new and different that wasn't the 1984 movie. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, that's the kind of part of the thing where you can't get sucked into that. And I really, really try to avoid all that nonsense because it's hurtful, man. Like, so, so what you don't have Luke Skywalker's actual screen use lightsaber hilt, like dude, who cares? Build yourself. I, Build yourself a lightsaber out of spare parts you find in the garage, man. Show me that. I want to see that. Yeah. That's interesting to me. Um, the evolution of the proton pack. Like, show me something new. That's so cool to me. I don't know. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, so the rest of us, what uh, what are what are your favorite scenes? So, Jeff, I, I mean, I know you've got like six or 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff, Jeff is over here pulling the, uh, was that, uh, Chris Farley and the, uh, Bill Swirsky super fans. That's going to make a Baker's dozen for me. That's going to make a <laughs> Baker's dozen. Um, God, you got favorite scene. Ray, when someone asks if you're a God, <laughs> you, say you say yes. yes! <laughs> I mean, so, okay. So my favorite scenes are probably going to correspond more with my favorite quotes. And my favorite quotes are like a lot of the reactionary stuff from Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, but you know, okay. So if I'm going to pick a scene off right now, I'm going to say the same scene I was describing a little while ago, because that's the scene of the spirits unleashing on the city just sticks with me. Like it sticks in my head. I can visualize it. It doesn't go away. And I think for a scene to be that prevalent in my mind, anytime I think of this movie, there's something about that scene that makes it that special and that awesome. So that, that that's what I'm going to go with for my favorite scene is that scene where the havoc starts being released. The part of the movie that I, I think is my favorite because you've got the whole, this chick is toast line. You've got the one I just did. When someone asks if you're a God, you say yes. Um, even at the end, it's Miller time. You know, that whole sequence of events there is is probably my favorite scene from the movie. I love this plan. Yeah, exactly. That's from there too. Like that whole sequence is just so good. What what did you do, Ray? (laughs) Yep. Where do these stairs go? They go up. They go up. (laughs) They go up. Plus, I think the the anything any lines delivered by Dan Aykroyd, like where he's like, "Those are the Gozerian," and he talks to it, and then everybody's just looking at each other. Like only Dan Aykroyd could deliver that line. And have it, I don't know. It's just so funny how he just spits out these fast spoken words. Uh, yeah, that mm-hmm. you're Those using are... words. I, I do not think you know uh, what these words yeah. mean. <laughs> Goes to the Gozarian. Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease and desist any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to that do it. Thanks do very it. much, Ray. Yeah. Thanks, Ray. 
See that? That ought to do it. <laughs> All right, All right. Dennis. I'll have Dennis. You go, and then I'll do mine. All right. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. A lot of them, you guys are already mentioning, but I'll try to mention a few of my favorite that like people haven't mentioned maybe yet. Although you probably mentioned them at some point. Um, first, I will ditto that I, I agree with you, Jeff, on that scene. That montage scene is one of the things that stuck with me. Even like I, I remember that being so powerful back then. It's like the movie was elevating to a different level at that point. There's like a like something's been unleashed on the world. There's the big threat, and it's like all hell's gonna break loose. And and you know, and the way it's done with the music the cinematography of it, all the choices, the colors, everything. It's just like, I think that is a classic montage. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Rick Moranis' character being locked out of his apartment, that whole scene, because uh, we had grown up watching SCTV and loved Rick Moranis, and, and I think that scene is, is just a funny one that I always remember. I wish it's Lewis, opening... let me in! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um the uh, the library scene is one of my favorites because again that's like the first thing that hooks you in, um, and I remember being in libraries after and kind of like what they say about getting you know going in the water or like going to the woods after Blair Witch Project or going in the water after Jaws. It was like something about like you can't. I couldn't go into a library and not think of that scene for a while. Like I'm gonna turn the corner in an empty library where it's pretty quiet or whatever, and 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 you know you're, I would picture you know something like that happening. So. Um, I always wanted to see the card fly, catalog fly out, fly out like something you're expecting it. Yeah, like like so. As a kid, I always remember thinking, "Wow!" Every time I got to a library, you're thinking of that movie. Which, um, then well, I having say, being married uh, to I'm somebody, being married to somebody who was a librarian, and getting to go into a bunch of like old libraries and like being at at University of Illinois and going into like the underground library and you get into some of those old stacks and things like that. There were times I'd be down there by myself, like looking for a book and I I would pull out one of the lines. I'd be like, you're right. No human being would stack books like this. I'm like, did you ever just whisper to yourself? I did. Yeah, (laughs) I did. And then I got whatever book I needed and ran out of there really fast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that, so that would be one. And then it's the whole stay puff marshmallow man scene. And, when they're trying to reveal who thought of what, it's Dan Aykroyd with that, like, you know, that look, or he's just like, I just couldn't, you know. Um, I tried to think of the most wholesome thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So stay puffed, and then I'm going to say the line with Ernie Hudson, the last line of it is the movie, which is, I love this town, that one, the, the love this town movie, but um, as a God, I love this town, right? And that way he's, he's all covered in marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's going to be my, you know, my top ones that I, I think I bring bring uh bring comes to mind so i think i agree i agree just going back on what you guys are saying about the love of that like yeah you're you're always going to get people out there who are going to be like you know i think of it like for me like trail running is a big thing for me i know it's not a movie but it's like you'll go to some of these ones up in wisconsin it's like everybody there loves it and they may run slow they may run fast they may walk it they may not have the fanciest shoes they might you know like all it and, and there will always be one person who'll come along and complain about something that there was no award or that the time was, it wasn't exactly so many miles or whatever. And you're always going to get those kind of naysayers of those people, but the rest of the people and the rest of that group get it. And you would never turn away another runner up there. Just like with your star Wars or your, your ghostbuster love. It's like you want, and yeah, there is in some ways from a technical standpoint, yeah, there could be a poorly written script or a bad thing. I think that there's certain movies that fall into a category and these kind that create this kind of fandom type of thing of like where people just love it and have such a cult following. It's like anything that promotes it. So it's kind of like 
you know, there's no such thing as a bad thing because everything's promoting what you love. Um, where there's other movies where I'm like, they better not do a re remake of this movie or that movie because that movie isn't in that category of a cult following or a, a, such a big popular following. It's in a different, you know, I'm looking at from an, so I might get more critical of a, a, a kind of one-off movie versus something that's a franchise almost like this. And, and I think, like you said, having little kids go up with, a, you know, making, if it can made it out of sticks and he's pretending that's like, you know, the, the proton, but it, that, that's, that's gold right there. That's just beautiful. And why would you sit there and say, well, that's not really one. Look at mine. You know, mine's so, so much better. Like, so I think, I think that love of it is, is something that's you're, you're going to, you're going to just find that family of people who love that. And, and it's bigger than the people who are the negative naysayers of those things. And you just got this, you just got to, you know, we just kind of laugh at those people we're like all negative or too serious about something and, and being too critical in that sense, because it's like, that's not, this is not the movie that you should be all and We, we get it. Maybe the script of this one's not that strong, but it's still, it's that. And sometimes the better ghostbusters are, you know, better than no, like I loved, I know a lot of people were totally trashing the last one. Um, the, the, uh, the one that just got released where, you know, but it, to me, I'm like, it is what it was. It was a nice tribute to Harold Raymond. And while the story might've been rehashing the original story, while there's lots of holes in it, I still enjoyed it. I still, I still thought it was, you know, it, it was like better than, it, it, way better than I thought it was going to be. So um, I would just say that to, to, to all of you guys with the, you know, yeah, you, you're always going to have somebody who doesn't like something and you can't let those people take up the energy of, 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 of the love of something. Kind of reminds me of uh, Be Kind Rewind. Yeah. I take that approach where there's just the love of something, but were the sweeted movies like the greatest? No, but they were homemade. There was like family, there were people in there, the neighborhood. And there's something that's better than that about them. The most expensive gadget or the perfectly written script. There's a love of film and a love of movies. And there's a love of all that stuff that goes, it goes a long way. So. All right. Well, I'm going to pull a Jeff. I'm going to cheat and I'm going to have two favorite scenes. Um, I was going to cheat first thing and just say my favorite scene is Bill Murray. And, and that was going to be it because I pretty much anything he says in this movie, all the little, just the little, almost like throwaway lines, um, but nothing with him as a throwaway line in this movie. Like just all the little side comments and the other stuff he says. Um, but I want to, I want to pick out two things in particular. One is the scene in Dana Barrett's apartment when he goes there for the first time and, and he does the little, does the fingers on the piano. He's like, they hate this. <laughs> Drives him crazy. You know, and he's walking around and checking out the apartment and checking out the rooms. And she's like, well, that's the bedroom, but nothing ever happened there. He's like, what a crime. Um, you know, and just his his whole little thing. And he, you seem much more like a game show host than a scientist. Um, and then the other scene, and I love this scene for Dan Aykroyd's just childlike wonder about the whole thing, which I think, Kevin, you, your comments about, you know, it's it's Ghostbusters. Anybody can be a Ghostbuster. Anybody can fall in love with this. The whole scene where they are looking at the firehouse and they're like, yeah, I don't know. This place should probably be condemned. Yes. And, he, and he comes running in. He's like, guys, <laughs> have you seen this? We, we got to try it out. We got like, just how excited he is and how just like a little kid when he comes running there. We, we should stay here tonight. You know, sleep on it. You know, that whole thing. Um, I love that scene. I just, I love how they are so serious about it. They're like sticking to the budget and, and he's like, no, we, we gotta, we, 
we got to try this place out. Bill Murray's trying to negotiate, yeah. and he's like, I want to be here now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to negotiate for that used car, and he's, he's like, all right, I don't really think if we – I don't know if we want this car or not. Um, I, we know what we're going to leave. I think we're going to leave, and maybe we'll come back later, and he comes running in. I want that car. I have to have that one. <laughs> like, I need that one. It can't be any other car. It's got to be that one. No. All right. Uh, well, before we move on to uh, our other movies for this episode, does anybody have any final thoughts you want to share about Ghostbusters? You know, I was just thinking about what Kevin was saying about how anyone can be a Ghostbuster. And immediately my I jumped to Ghostbusters 2 with uh, Rick Moranis' character, where he dresses up as a Ghostbuster at the yes. end. And he's on the outside, and he's just shouting like, I'm a Ghostbuster, I'm a Ghostbuster. And yeah. Like, so I think, you know, that... That's what I'm envisioning for uh, for Kevin and, and your crew, right? You're you're feeling that and you're spreading that. So you know, again, kudos uh, kudos on, uh, to you guys. You know, and if uh, if there's a website or anything you want to promote um, for your group or where people can donate, uh, please feel free to to share that, and we will get that out to uh, to yeah. anyone that listens to this episode. Yeah. First off, I want to say thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Jeff, it's always a pleasure with you, but uh, it was a pleasure meeting uh, the rest of you guys, uh, getting to talk about this movie for a little bit. Um, so thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, the group is called the Windy City Ghostbusters. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Um, and if you want to make a donation to La Rabita's Children's Hospital, uh, anything you can give is, is wonderful. Um, we're available for birthday parties, and we have balloons that come with mugs and... <laughs> You know, stuff like, like that. Uh, stuff for the kids, because uh, it's all about the kids, man. So uh, I'm pu- like blessed that I, I get to do this um, and, and bring a little bit of joy to the world, because the world's a, a dumpy place right now. Um, so dressing like a Ghostbuster and making a couple kids smile um, will do it. Then I will gladly give my time to do it. So I appreciate the time, guys. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, thank you for being with us here, Kevin. All right, take care, guys. All right, see you, Kevin. Bye. All right, our next movie is Gremlins. It came out on the 8th of June, 1984, so same day. came out the exact same day as Ghostbusters. Mistake. Um, well, actually, oddly enough, as I was reading up on some of this, it was, was not it a mistake, It was the same day. No, yeah, it, it came wasn't. Out it, it wasn't no. a mistake. It actually oh, did it really mistake. well. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, um, it, there was a quote from somebody. I don't know if it was Joe Dante or somebody else. They're like, Everywhere else, you know, we came out same day as Ghostbusters. Everywhere else, Ghostbusters beat us, except for New York City, because the people were so ticked off that they had been blocking traffic during the whole time they had made that movie that people went to go see Gremlins instead, just out of spite. Yeah, I read that like, too. It gave me a good chuckle. That's that's a great story. That's <laughs> And it's so New York. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, you blocked my street, I'm going to go see the movie with those little lizards. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was rated PG, although we did mention earlier, too, that this is one of the movies that is the reason for the PG-13 rating, uh, because people thought it was a bit extreme for PG. 
Uh, just, run t- just a little just, bit. Just a tad. Just a tad. Uh, runtime was one hour, 46 minutes, directed by Joe Dante, who also did Inner Space and The Howling. Uh, producer was Michael Fennell, who did Inner Space and The Burbs. Writer for this one was Chris Columbus, who did The Goonies and Christmas with the Cranks. Music was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who died in 2004. He did some of the Star Trek movies and Total Recall. Cinematography was done by John Hora, who died in 2021. He did cinematography for Inner Space and The Burbs. Editor was Tina Hirsch, who did Dante's Peak and several episodes of The West Wing. Budget for this one was $11 million. Box office was $212.9 million. So clearly, opening on the same day as Ghostbusters did not hurt Gremlins. Um, that must have just, I mean, a lot of times when I think about it, that must have just been a fun summer for movies. Like uh-huh. summer of 84 and the stuff that would have come out that summer just blows Well, that's my the mind. other interesting story about this one is that they rushed production to put it out in the summer. Right. It was supposed to be a Christmas movie, obviously, with the music yeah. and the setting and all that. And yeah, it's just crazy. They didn't have a summer blockbuster lined up, so they said eh, that one. Yeah. yeah. The 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 um the percentage chance, like I don't, I'd have to look back and see what other movies were in their queue that they could have rushed production on. But it's just crazy when you think about it that yeah. these two movies that you know indelible marks on some people's childhood came out at the same time. Yeah. Like. Uh, Flick Metrics, which is a combination of Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterboxd, gives this one a 73%. Uh, there was no cinema score for this one. Hoyt Axton, who died in 1999, played Randall Peltzer. He was in the Black Stallion and the Civil War documentary. Um, did you guys also know where Hoyt Axton is from, like what he's also known for? I feel like with a name like that, we should know because it would be memorable. So apparently he was also pretty well known as a songwriter and he helped either wrote or helped write the song, uh, joy to the world by three dog night. Huh? I did not know that. Right on. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, John Louie played the Chinese boy, the young grandson of the shop owner. Um, he was in, they call me Bruce and summer camp nightmare. Key Luke, uh, played the grandfather. He died in 1991. He was in Charlie Chan in Paris and Alice, Don Steele, who died in 1997, played Rockin' Ricky Rialto. He was in Death Race 2000 and Grand Theft Auto. Scott Brady, who died in 1985, played Sheriff Frank. He was in Johnny Guitar and The China Syndrome. Corey Feldman played Pete. He was in The Goonies and The Lost Boys. Harry Carey Jr., who died in 2012, played Mr. Anderson. He was in Tombstone and The Exorcist Three. Zach Galligan played Billy. He was in Waxwork and Surviving. Dick Miller, who died in 2019, played Mr. Futterman. He was in The Terminator and The Howling. Jackie Joseph played Sheila Futterman. She was in The Little Shop of Horrors, the 1960 version, and Small Soldiers. Phoebe Cates played Kate. She was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Drop Dead Fred, and A Bunch of High Schoolers' Dreams. Francis Lee McCain played Lynn Peltzer. He was in Footloose and Back to the Future. Polly Holiday played Mrs. Deagle. She was in Alice and The Parent Trap, the 98 version. And Howie Mandel played Gizmo. He was in Little Monsters and Bobby's World. Mogwai. Mogwai. Uh, a gadget salesman is looking for a special gift for his son and finds one at a store in Chinatown. The shopkeeper is reluctant to sell him the Mogwai, but, well, this says sells it to him. Didn't sell it to him. The kid sells it to him with the warning never to expose him to bright light, water, or to feed him after midnight. 
All of this happens, and the result is a gang of gremlins that decide to tear up the town on Christmas Eve. So that's Chekhov's water, Chekhov's food, and Chekhov's midnight. Yes, yes. When they're introduced in Act 1, you know somebody's going to get wet. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're going to like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're going to have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever, mischievous, What's going on here? and dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. All right. What are your earliest memories of Gremlins? Did anybody see it in the theater? That'd be a Dennis question. That would be me, yes. Yeah, I saw it in the okay. theater. Okay. Um, and and I, it's, I like fact-checked you because I couldn't believe that these were both released on the same day. Um, it must have been puzzling for my dad. <laughs> we might have done a back-to-back we might have, i mean it wasn't it wasn't unknown to do two movies in, in, in an outing um i don't know when all that stuff where these to be the double features and stuff i'm sure this probably wasn't it but um we might have just gone from one theater to another theater or if it was showing the same theater just moved over I'm, i mean that's quite possible I, I i'm curious to ask my brothers that if they have a better memory of that but yeah definitely saw it in the theater and it's just man it's just it's that would just a great movie like i loved it again 13 perfect age for these movies because they have the right balance of you know some humor um there's some fear in there which was always you know which was always good and just just nice mix and and i was old enough to get all those things so uh normally i'd apologize for my age but uh i'm kind of glad i'm not six or seven if you guys saw this at six or seven because 13 is just a much better age to see it less therapy indeed the whole santa thing everything you know all that <laughs> i the first time i saw it i saw it at a sleepover and i uh didn't finish the movie i had to be removed from the room <laughs> it did not sit well with my young brain um it how old pre- are you six seven possibly younger 
because I don't think we'd moved out to Mundelein yet, or maybe just. So the oldest I could have been was eight. It did not go well. <laughs> I couldn't watch this movie for years. It scarred me so much. It took the second one coming out, me seeing that at an older age, enjoying the comedy of the second one for me to go back and watch this one. Like I wasn't getting anywhere near this sucker for a long time. Wow. Well, see, and I think that, 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 you know, it can be confusing because you have that such a cute little gizmo character, but then it just gets dark and it just turns, you know, whoa, like a little bit of the uneasy feeling of Willy Wonka when he's going through the, you know, on the boat. It's like, wait a second. No one knows where we are rowing. (laughs) Yeah, this is cute and fun. And right now I don't feel so good, Dad. Right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And, And man, listen to that trailer. They gave away a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I did not see that trailer before I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, still, I I can still remember how I felt. It doesn't like do that to me anymore, but I remember that feeling, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know that. It's part of why I don't watch a lot of horror movies to this day. I think. But I don't know that I've ever quite had that experience with a movie since then. Yeah, it's you know, it, like, and I think the, the way you're describing, like, Willy Wonka was that was that for me. Unless I brought that up with the both because that's exactly sure. the feeling that you're bringing up. I still have like I'm obviously gonna watch the movie now, but I remember watching that movie in the theater and almost being like, "Can I leave? Can I not?" Like at this point, I'm a dad. Please help. And you know, and I have four older brothers, and they're all boys, so it's not like I'm gonna be able to walk out. Like I have to be like tough enough to make it through. But man, I was, I had that weird, uncomfortable feeling at that point. And luckily, obviously, it gets better in the movie. But um, I could totally see that because I would probably be about the same age. I'd have to check the Willy Wonka release date of when that was. Um, but it, it, that's it's probably very similar similar in age of what you're experiencing yeah definitely what about you jeff when did you see first wonka see this was one? 71 yeah wonka was 71. okay uh, so my, i think my first experience i wonder if they released that or whatever i do remember seeing the theater but i also remember my main memory is seeing it at my grandma's house hmm. so jeff does it was this a uh was this movie theater for you or did you see it later i don't think this was movie theater for me okay um i mean i on one hand, I would have been six at the time. Yeah. But at the same time, I saw Ghostbusters in the theater. So, you know, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. But I think this may have been either rented or caught it on cable or recorded off a of cable and watched it later. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I, 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 like it's already been said, like, there's just a great mix of different vibes that come out of this movie which makes it enjoyable, right? You're, you're not being inundated with comedy or darkness or the mystery of it or violence. It's just a little bit of everything thrown in there. And it just, it, it balances really well so that there's definitely a, there's a rewatchability to it. Although I don't necessarily know that this is one that I would rewatch all the time. I watched it again this past weekend. And I want to say that 
time last time prior that I watched this was for when we recorded our first episode back in 2015. Um, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy the movie or have something against the movie. It just, it, it doesn't stand out to me as being one that I'm going to watch a lot, but when I do, man, I enjoy it. And I remember having the thought of, I wish, I wish this is a movie I wish I could see for the first time. As I was watching it this weekend, I had a couple moments when I'm like, I wish I could experience this movie for the first time. You know, all, all of the mystery around it was lost on me when I was a kid. And I'd love an opportunity to rewatch this and have a lot of those questionable moments or start to piece, try to piece things together or really feel the impact of a lot of the moments in the movie that just, I missed out on when I was, uh, when I was a kid. You will, I'll, I'll tell you, you will get a little bit of that the first time you show it to your kids. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely on, on that ever growing list of, of movies I'm going to watch with, uh, with the boys when they're old enough and, and introduce the boys to when they're old enough. So, and you know, in those moments, it'll be them watching the movie and me watching them watch the movie. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I like this movie quite a bit and I, you know, like I said, I don't know why I don't watch it more often, but when I do it, it's, it's a, it, it's an enjoyable experience. Well, I think I'm the opposite of Bo because I saw this at a young age too and loved it, and it probably explains why I watch. Because you're a sick, yes. sick man. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's why I enjoy a good scary movie even even to this day. Um, I I can completely imagine that a lot of what was in this movie com- threw over just completely flew over my head. Um, I would not have remembered the whole story of her dad getting caught in the chimney and dying and like I wouldn't have picked up on that as a kid I just remember and this was probably a rental I can't imagine we saw this in the theater um and I imagine my dad probably thought oh yeah gremlins that's that I think that's that kid's movie a um, little furry critter he's you got know, the, little, the little furry guy and I mean they have the kids books and and everything so I mean I'm sure it's it's fine they got a Nintendo game um so I'm sure it's fine and um or I guess they had a Nintendo game for the the second one um but I would imagine that he, we rented it at some point, you know, thinking it's a kid's movie. And I'd be curious to know if, as we watched it for the first time at home, if he at any point or my mom at any point were just sitting there going, yikes. What did I <laughs> what, rent? What did I, cause there've been a few times where we've, I've put in a movie, I've tried to look it up ahead of time, but I, my parents didn't have, you know, the IMDB parents guide section to help them figure out, you know, what was kid appropriate and what was not. So I can only imagine like the times that I've popped in a movie thinking, Oh yeah, I looked it up. This one's, this one's pretty safe. And then occasionally like a scene will come up and we'll be like, oops, that, um, Ooh, that's, that was a nipple. <laughs> that's, that slipped through. Um, so I can only imagine that happened with, with this and uh, with gremlins, but no, I love this movie as a kid. And I was, I think I watched it as many times as I could get my hands on it. Um, as a kid and just absolutely loved it and loved the second one too. When the second one came out, I remember just being so excited that there was a Gremlins 2 and all the other crazy Gremlins that came in with that one. Actually, I just mentioned the Nintendo game for Gremlins 2. I played that thing. I must have, I don't know how much money I gave Blockbuster Video back in the day to rent that one and keep playing it. Um, 
but I mean, I played that thing nonstop. So no, I, this one for me would have been a rental at home, and it, I want to say it might have been one that my dad would have recorded off of TV somewhere, and we had like in our vast collection of the recorded off of TV VHS tapes. Um, I can just about guarantee we had a Gremlins copy at home, and then we would rewatch it. So, um. I looked it up real quick, you know, after we were talking about when this came out and what the other options were at the movie theater. So looking at 1984, about a two, what's that, two weeks? Two weeks before this came out, you had Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out on May 23rd. And then on June 1st, you had Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock came out. And then on June 8th, you had Ghostbusters and Gremlins came out. Wow. So, I mean, it was a pretty, I mean, those three weeks <laughs> between Temple of Doom coming out at the end of May and Ghostbusters and Gremlins coming out on June 8th, those three weeks, you had some pretty big, pretty big movies coming out. Pretty, you know what that's called? Pretty big. That's called the best summer ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> and that's just June. I didn't even get to further, I didn't even get to further on in June where you got the Karate Kid that came out. Um, Jeez. Conan the Destroyer came out. Muppets Take Manhattan. Last Starfighter. I mean, that's people's is people's. Okay. Yeah. Is is potatoes? Is frogs dancing? Is is pigs singing? Yeah. So tons of stuff that came out in the theater around this time. So yes, I can only imagine that Dennis, if your family was in the habit of doing that, you just camp out and just watch a bunch of movies. Yeah, like the ones you mentioned, we saw Conan. We, I mean, my dad was like Bill Murray. He was, you know, the Gremlin. I like all those. He's a big fan of all those type of movies. So that those were all. We saw Karate Kid. Like those are all movie theaters. Yeah, and that was we loved. I mean, that was what loved about summer too. Is like our dad was very big in the movies and going to the theater and seeing him. So you know, literally load up the the, the wagon and and uh, station wagon and get out and and like we weren't we we're known to do double. Uh, sometimes two or three movies in a day. Because I had my three brothers that also were in the wheelchair, so if we went out, it was like we're going to make a day of it sometime. So he would do that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, so for this one, I mean, we asked the same question. We were talking about Ghostbusters earlier on. How solid is the story for this one? Because I mean, we talked about Ghostbusters, and we talked about it's very quotable. Um, I mean, it's got a it's got a pretty simple story to it. What about this one? What about the story to this one? Is it is it a solid enough story? Is it one that holds up over time, or is this just a movie where you're like, yeah, I, I remember the Gremlins, and they were kind of fun. I know the three rules, but I don't know the rest of the story. Um, where does this where does this fall for you guys, story wise? I think one of the problems with the story is the three rules. They're real easy to punch a hole in. Yeah. But you gotta suspend that disbelief and just enjoy the the terror of the gremlins and the havoc they present. Otherwise, you're gonna have trouble. Because I mean, because what like if he the, what if he eats something at eleven o'clock and gets some food stuck in his teeth, and then after midnight the food falls out of his teeth and he swallows it? Did he eat after midnight? Well, my favorite argument is midnight where? Well, yeah. <laughs> And and when does it end? Like, okay, so fine, he can't eat after midnight. When can he start eating again? Or let's see, what was the other one? Um, oh, another one. Eh, doesn't matter. Point is, it's easy to start to poke holes in the rules, and and so you end up suspending disbelief real early. As long as you can get there, I think you're okay. 
How does he bathe and how do they do it? What do they drink water to stay alive or what? Like, well, oh yeah, there's a good one. Like, do they not have to drink water to stay alive? The bathing thing. I mean, cats lick themselves. So, you know, you get away with that. But yeah, you're totally right. Like, but if the Mogwai licks himself, isn't he getting wet? Well, but it's not water. Is it? And, and you know, carbon-based life forms kind of depend on water sort of a thing. Dennis makes a very good point. Uh, questions, questions you everything. never thought you'd be asking or answering on a podcast. If a Mogwai licks himself, do you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we always like, we wanted new pets. Like we go to the, we lived at the pet yeah. shop as well. And we see this and be like, Oh, can we get one of those? And we had two Guinea pigs. We had like, like we had like a, a pet shop in our house basically. So with this movie, that's like the per- perfect Christmas gift of, wow, you're bringing me some exotic pets, you know? And Oh my God, he's so cute. But then all these things could go wrong if you don't follow, you know, the directions. And it's like, so a lot of responsibility with this pet. So it like just tied in with our childhood at that time too. So to me, it's a strong story that, you know, definitely showed, I didn't even think of those, you know, like I, as an adult, we're going to think of those uh, breaks in the rules. But as a kid, I didn't think of that. I just thought midnight because I only knew there was midnight here. I think at that age, there was no midnight anywhere else in the world. There was midnight here. Um. Yeah, you know, so I I I think the story is still it's just a nice little creative story and I I, I like it. I think it holds up. My kids yeah. saw it and they would they would I think vouch for that as well, like seeing that movie now. I think the uh you know, other than some some questionable issues with the with the rules, I think the story's fine. Um do I remember every aspect of the story? No, but that's kind of what makes rewatching it every couple of years fun is that I, not everything stands out. So when it plays out on the screen, it's more of a, oh yeah, I remember that now. As opposed to like, well, I'm going to play a game on my phone while this is on because I kind of know this movie inside and out. Um, yeah, and you know, it, again, it, you know, kind of like ghostbusters but not as much of uh this one's i think a little bit darker than ghostbusters mm-hmm. um but that's not to and i don't mean well, yeah, it as I mean, a crit- I, I don't mean it as a criticism it's it's not a criticism it's just a uh just a comparison as we're talking about these movies you know it's it's it, a bit darker but it's still for me it's still enjoyable it certainly leans more into the horror aspect for sure. Yeah. That's a, a holiday horror film. I think. Well, it's funny if you go back into the, you know, the production of this from the very beginning that this was meant to be I, Christopher Columbus, when he wrote it, I guess it was just a, a sample that he was doing for something. He like never, never thought that this was ever going to be picked up and never turned into a movie. And I guess Steven Spielberg somehow got a hold of it, and he's like, I love this. Um, and he had just done uh, Piranha and The Howling and Poltergeist. So he had been doing, he had been producing a, a slew of horror movies, and I think he was pretty happy with the idea that you can do a horror movie on a pretty low budget um, and have it come out and be something that's that's pretty good, or, or at least people are really going to enjoy and go see it, buy tickets to it. And so it sounded like he's like, yeah, well, I'll do another horror movie. I think that'd be fun. And and then from there, as they kind of, as the, like the evolution of the script, 
originally this was just going to be straight up gremlins like the mogwai all the mogwai were going to be evil um then the gremlins obviously all evil and then at some point they introduced the character of gizmo they're like well wait, 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 let's make one of them kind of like the hero he can be like the sidekick for billy um and then you know then that kind of changes the story a bit it goes from being a horror movie to being a very very dark sometimes comedy and it kind of shifted from there um and that's what I think is interesting about this movie, and that's why it's such a quirky little movie, is that you can't really... It's really hard to peg this down into what the genre is because at moments, when they're in the when they're in the town and these gremlins are tearing things apart and people are being attacked, especially the mom being attacked in the kitchen, you know, all of those different scenes, that's horror movie. And then you get to scenes like the movie theater where they're all watching Snow White, and they're singing along to the movie and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then it's very clearly a comedy. And you've got all these comedy moments. In fact, I, early on in, in one of the first drafts of the script, um, when the gremlin is attacking the mom, in the early draft of the script, the dog gets killed and the mom gets her head chopped off. And the gremlins are, like, carrying the mom's head around the town as they're tearing other stuff up. And I'm like, if I had seen that movie as a kid, Bo, I would have had the same reaction you did, I think. If it had been that dark, then I think my parents would have turned it off right away. But, yeah, it's it was a much darker movie before they started making some changes and before they introduced the idea that Gizmo was going to be a, a kind of a sidekick for Billy. It's just the, uh, the movie that Chris Columbus wrote based on the mice or rats in his apartment. Yes. Yeah. That would, like, nibble on his fingers while he was sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> God. Ah. Uh-huh. Good Lord. Yeah. It's it's stories like that that made me decide to go to education school as opposed to film school. How about it, man? That's <laughs> just but I'm but then again, we'd you know take a negative and turn it into a positive. Yeah. But no, it's like crazy, crazy stuff in this movie. Um and especially the way the the way the script changed over time. Um, what about, you know, we talked with Ghostbusters, we talked about this as well. What about the score or the soundtrack for this? I'm going to I'm gonna answer first and say, admittedly, I don't really think much about the music other than the whole um, uh, kind of gremlins, that little kind of like uh, ragtime gremlins, like the gremlins theme. Other than that, yeah. I don't really think yeah, too the, much about the rest of the music. The main theme is what? comes to mind and other than that i don't know if i could tell you other than like some um some songs that they put in there um yeah i think the holiday music sort of um (laughs) the way they use it is to sort of like calm you down before they hit you again with something like they pull back to the town and they play a little holiday song and then they bring you back in and hit you with some more stuff. The I one that stands out to me, a... the one that stands out to me though, is when the mom is uh, going through the house after she's discovered that the cocoons have hatched. And all of a sudden you hear, um, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Yep. Like that, like that, that lyric alone is perfect for that moment, let alone just that lyric is part of a Christmas song, which is perfect for the setting. So why wouldn't that song have been on or, you know, or, you know, why wouldn't that record have been on the record player at the time? It just made so much sense. So it just worked so well. Feels like it belongs. 
which makes it even creepier. Right. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing of mixing Christmas with this like creepy horror movie, this like dark comedy horror movie that's taking place at Christmas time. You you can take stuff like that and turn it creepy. And I never noticed until this last rewatch in that scene when the mom is in uh, in the house attacking the gremlins. There's one she gets in that Peltzer blender contraption. And then there's another one that she stabs on a cutting board before she sprays another one in the microwave. Yes. The one that the one that she stabs on the cutting board is moving throughout the rest of the scene. She doesn't kill it. It's still alive, but it's just laying on the cutting board with a knife sticking out of its chest. But it's like its legs are still kicking every now and again. Its arms are moving. I was just like, I don't know if that's just because the animatronic that they used was like still. I, I don't know. <laughs> But it adds another level of really like just discomfort. Yeah. As far as the the music, I was three years into my uh, obsession, fan obsession with Peter Gabriel. So I knew I had had already heard that there was a song that was going to be featured in there. And I was waiting for it during the movie. And finally it appeared during the um, the bar scene. So that's the one song I remember from Gremlins. It's Out, Out, Out and by, by Peter Gabriel. And it's when she's at the bar and I think somebody's spinning around a, a ceiling fan and all hell's breaking loose at the bar and she's bartending and it's like all, you know, it's just, they're taking over. And the song is called Out, Out, Out by Peter Gabriel. So uh, that's the one that always stands out to me just because, again, I was waiting for that one. I was like, oh, Peter Gabriel's got a song in Gremlins. I can hear this. And that's where it, it pops up. But yeah, the overwhelming or the over uh, over you know the overview score of it all too like that music is you know but yeah other other than that there's not a whole lot i remember but those two things definitely yeah yeah i so my next question for us is what is your favorite scene and for this one i think that it's you know when i'm thinking about that for ghostbusters the thing that pops into my mind was it's less about some of the scenes and it was more about specific quotes because to me ghostbusters is so infinitely quotable um, this one, I don't find this one. I think I said this earlier. I don't find this one to be as quotable. Like I can't think of direct quotes from the movie. I mean, maybe a couple here or there, but it's not quite the same as something like a Ghostbusters. Um, it, it's, it is more about some of the particular scenes of the movie. So do you have a favorite scene or because this movie is, is so kind of twisted and different, do you have an impactful scene? Maybe if it's not a favorite scene. Gizmo driving around in the little RC car. Nice. That's the the scene that I remember when I think of this movie. I think that was Nora's favorite scene when she saw this too. She probably handled it better than I did. She might have actually. It took a while until she was okay to watch this. Like she was like she does not like scary movies at all, and it took up until I want to say maybe even like last year was the first time she finally watched this at age what would it be ten eleven. Um, took a while, but yeah, she was like, yeah, I think I'm ready for it. And then I remember specifically it got to some of those scenes and she's like, wow, this is a kid's movie. Like, no, it's not really. a <laughs> No, 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 no. It's not really a kid's movie. It just kind of looks like one. <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> it's not a kid's movie. It just plays one on TV. Exactly. But yeah, Gizmo driving around in the RC car. That's cool. I think the, the part that sticks with me the most is again, the mom killing the gremlins in the kitchen 
and you know just seeing the the legs of the ones sticking out of the blender and the goo of the one that blows up in the microwave like i can i I'm, that, that sort of stuff sticks with a kid when you see this movie <laughs> no kidding yeah um but yeah just I, I don't know if there's like another scene that like when i think gremlins what do i go to remember your microwave safety children so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with that because i i know that as a kid those scenes really stuck out to me dennis do you have a favorite scene um i mean obviously the flower shop at the end um but i think the movie theater scene that you described a little bit earlier was it was definitely one that i always remember um the old lady going up the uh stairs oh mrs deagle yeah <laughs> yeah that whole thing um but i think the you know was, i like the blend there's a couple I'm, I, i'd have to go back and look but i think it's a couple of really good just cinematography um scenes with with um what's his name scott uh, uh drawing up like that. Yeah. what's it's scratch right Say it. what's the, the the evil one's name again stripe stripe Strife, Strife. I was saying Scratch. I'm sorry. So with Strife, like there's a couple of good shots with him where it's just like, just he just seems bigger and he, like one of the best monsters ever for a while. It's like the contrast between the cute little, you know, when they play that up towards the end, it's like there's a couple of things where he says some stuff about Gizmo and you can tell he just eats Gizmo. Was it something? I'm going to have to look that one up. I'm, I'm walking out. I'll, I'll think about it in a second. But it's one yeah. with it. A couple, couple quotes are seen. Something Gizmo, he says something. Ah, he gizmo says uh, Gizmo, Gizmo, Kaka. Kaka. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think for me, it's probably I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a daily double here, and I'm gonna go with Jeff. Um, it's got to be the the scene in the kitchen uh, when the mom is fighting off the gremlins, and just I mean that scene is crazy, and that that scene, I, I want to say it's that scene in particular that was the eventual push for PG thirteen. Because it was just so, you've got these puppets that, I mean, it's like the mother is murdering Muppets in her kitchen, and they're also trying to kill her. And I can imagine that being the scene where somebody was like, I brought my kid to a PG movie thinking that this was Muppets. And then I saw the kitchen scene, and she's blending them and stabbing them and blowing them up in a microwave. and But then me as Bo has already pointed out, the sick and twisted little child loved that scene because it was hilarious <laughs> because you got to see a gremlin get blown up in a microwave. What can I blow up in a microwave? <laughs> wow. That's what happens when you put a living thing in a microwave. <laughs> Do I have any friends I don't like anymore? <laughs> that will fit in a microwave. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a small kid somewhere, but um, so I did read up a couple of different things on this movie that would have, I think would have taken it in also a, a fairly dark and strange and twisted direction is originally one of the people that Steven Spielberg was considering to direct this movie was Tim Burton. I could see that. Yeah. That would have been an interesting version. Yeah. Now the interesting thing, and I did uh, funny thing. I, I went back to listen to our Pee Wee's big adventure episode that we did all the way back in 2015 and we were talking in that one about tim burton and you know how in 1985 Wee was kind of his first big feature film 
And as we were talking about that one, we didn't really feel like that was necessarily, um, you know, Tim Burton was not yet the Tim Burton that we see when we watch things like Beetlejuice or um, uh, Edward Scissorhands or Sleepy Hollow or things like that. And I'd be curious, the reason they didn't go with Tim Burton, Steven Spielberg had seen some of his short films, but he hadn't made a full-length movie yet, so he's like, ah, I don't know. Joe Dante has made some full-length movies, and I like his style. I'm going to go with him instead. Um, I would be curious what a Tim Burton Gremlins movie would look like. I'd like to see that. Yeah. If Tim Burton wants to make a Gremlins movie now, I think that'd be fun. Well, interestingly enough, there was a sequel, ser- uh, an animated series coming out, I think, this year. I did, Yeah, I heard about that. That something was coming soon. Um. And it's the the backstory of how the grandfather that owns the shop comes across Gizmo. So okay. it's it's uh, it's set in the 1920s in Shanghai. Oh. So apparently, this guy's name is Sam Wing, mm-hmm. um, and he's 10 years old in this show, and it's uh, just how he meets gizmo and how he and a couple of others encounter different uh monsters and spirits of chinese folklore on their quest to return gizmo to his family yeah i remember seeing something about that i'm I'm gonna check that out as it just comes out they're pursued by a power hungry industrialist and his growing army of evil gremlins whatever that means but it's called Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. All right. That should be fun. One more thing to add to the watch list. <laughs> right. Because, you know, in all of our free time <laughs> that we have. In all that free time. Yeah. Um, all right. I, anything else we want to say about Gremlins before we move on to our, our last one? Do we move on to Nightmare on Elm Street? Um. Just an interesting, uh, you know, for me, I, I remember like just being slightly surprised by what Gremlins were because um, I had, I think, you know, I remember the old Twilight Zone episode with the Gremlin. Mm, yeah. And I was always like, wait a second, this is different. So just like an interesting, like, you know, is there a connection in any way possible? I don't know. I guess that's a lot, you know, when you see the the older, the the, the William Shatner Twilight, Twilight Zone episode it doesn't really seem like they connect at all. And you see the one that was maybe slightly influenced, maybe by Gremlins, because the character on the um, on the, uh, the the newer Twilight Zone, the movie, was a little bit more slimy or a little bit more like the, uh, yeah. you know, like like the, the 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 ones in the Gremlins a little bit, like in the movie. But just interesting on the connection between that of what a Gremlin was, and yeah, that's all. I remember thinking that because we were like, oh, I remember this, you know, from the Twilight Zone episode. And then I was like, wait, this isn't exactly what Gremlins are. Are they? Or are they? So, yep, that's all. The mom in this movie is played by the quintessential mom in a lot of 80s movies. Yeah, she's uh, Lorraine's mom in Back to the Future, isn't she? She's um, Kevin Bacon's mom in Footloose. Oh, that's right. She is. I forgot about that. All right, well, everybody's mom, 
Francis Lee McCain, everybody's mom. But everybody's mom. <laughs> I mean, she's fantastic. I don't mean that as oh, yeah. as, as a criticism. But she is. It's she's great. like she's like the quintessential eighties mom. She she's great in this movie. Yeah. I mean, and to think, you know, when when she's being attacked by the gremlins, what does she have to portray? She has to portray a woman being attacked by puppets, essentially, and, and make these puppets seem real and seem like a real threat, which can be very difficult to do. But man, does she sell it? The 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 terror that she's exhibiting as she's walking through her house. I don't know, man. It's it's good stuff. Okay, in this scene, imagine Kermit the Frog wants to kill you. All right, um, action. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, it's it's not easy eating your spleen. Yikes! Wow, <laughs> that that took a twisted turn. That that went that went somewhere I wasn't expecting. Mm, man. <laughs> um. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people's people's eat people's. Okay. All right. People's eat people's. People's eat what? people's. <laughs> is cooked with potatoes. <laughs> Is bacon. People's eat people's. Okay. It's Kevin Bacon. It's delicious. Yes. <laughs> All right. On that note, anyway. uh, as if we weren't twisted enough, let's talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> okay. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. This, I, we're we're going to talk about the music later, but I love the main theme of this one. It's just so creepy, and you get the little kind of like sing-songy, almost like nursery rhyme kind of music in it. Yeah, the synthesizers with the minor chords and the... Ah. Yeah. There you go. Makes your hair stand on end before you've even seen anything. A little Stranger Things feel, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that when the composer of Stranger Things did their did their thing, they had this. Oh yeah, as a major major influence. Yeah. All right. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street came out on the 9th of November, 1984, rated R. Uh, no question about this one, whether it should be a PG or an R. Runtime of one hour and thirty one minutes. Directed by Wes Craven, who died in 2015. He did Last House on the Left and Scream. Producer for this one was Robert Shea. He did the Elm Street series and the Lord of the Rings series. Writer was Wes Craven. He did The Hills Have Eyes and Swamp Thing. Music was done by Charles Bernstein. He did The Entity and Cujo. Cinematography by Jacques Heitken, who did Wishmaster and Mom and Dad Save the World. Editors were Patrick McMahon and Rick Shane. McMahon did The Ward and Meet the Blacks. Shane did The Incredible Hulk and Pitch Black. Budget was $1.1 million. Box office was $57 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 76%, and CinemaScore did not have one for this one. John Saxon, who died in 2020, played Lieutenant Thompson. He was in Enter the Dragon and Black Christmas. Ronnie Blakely played Marge Thompson. She was in Nashville and the Baltimore Bullet. Heather Langenkamp played Nancy Thompson. Nancy. Nancy. 
I'm your was, boyfriend now. I'm your boyfriend now. Yep. She, ugh, ugh. All right. Um, she was in New Nightmare and Just the Ten of Us. Amanda Weiss played Tina. Tina. Just like creepy, creepy names. Uh, Tina Gray. She was in Badland and the TV series of Highlander. Uh, Jesu Garcia played Rod Lane. He was in We Were Soldiers and Collateral Damage. Johnny Depp played Glenn Lance. He was in Benny and June and the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Charles Fleischer played Dr. King. He was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future Part 2. Joseph Whip played Sergeant Baker, uh, Sergeant Parker. Sorry, He was in Scream and Suicide Kings. And Robert England played Fred Krueger. He was in Stranger Things and Wishmaster. In Wes Craven's classic slasher film, several Midwestern teenagers fall prey to Freddy Krueger, a disfigured midnight mangler who preys on the teenagers in their dreams, which in turn kills them in reality. After investigating the phenomenon, Nancy begins to suspect that a dark secret kept by her and her friend's parents may be the key to unraveling the mystery, but can Nancy and her boyfriend Glenn solve the puzzle before it's too late? Probably not, but we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? You just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! Ah! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Ah! Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. All right. For this one, what are your earliest memories? And I really hope none of us saw this in the theater. Um, what are your earliest memories of Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, mine are about 36 hours ago. So <laughs> I'm going to pass most of that to the rest of you wait you just saw that yeah first time ever. i'd never seen it wow wow okay that's interesting okay just really because never... you don't you don't tend to like scary movies as much so i'm kind of curious to we'll, we'll get to you here in a second but i'm, I'm yeah. curious to find out bo's hmm. not sleeping tonight is basically what he's telling <laughs> yeah i slept um, like a baby last night so okay. <laughs> Lots of crying and needing to be held. Exactly. <laughs> like some, every night. Maybe some feedings along the way. Hey, now. Bo works in school IT. Nothing scares him. <laughs> Touche. Unless you work at one of our buildings and it's a heavy rain that'll knock out the Wi-Fi. 
Christmas lights. <laughs> Ask me about Christmas okay. lights someday. Okay. That's so true. <laughs> That's funny because it's true. It is true. Yeah. That's why I switched to hard drive accounts all those years ago. I was like, oh, this isn't happening. Every time it rains in Chicago, we're going to have issues. I'm like, no, no. Sure. Um, earliest memories for me are just this. I want to say this is not a movie theater. I think this is a VHS. Um, my dad probably saw it at the theater, probably did not bring us to this one. Um, but I remember like early VHS, everybody gathered around, lights off, watching this in, in the living room. And it was just that first, uh, It's uh, sorry, it's the second movie that made it me afraid to go to sleep. First one being, you know, I had recovered from uh, the earlier um, Evasion of the Body Snatchers, the original, which freaked me out where I was like, I can't go to sleep because um, no, I can't go to sleep. And um, and then this happened too, because like, how do you do like, you know, and I had some nightmares coming after this one. I remember that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. I just, I remember living room, dark, all the lights off, glow of the TV, everybody gathered around, the smell of popcorn, um, you know, Coca-Cola and, uh, <laughs> or root beer, whichever one and, and watching this and just being, you know, freaked out because I had to sleep that night. And I was like, dad, you can't like, you can't yell at us for not going to bed now. Well, I was always aware of this movie when I was when I was a kid. My parents certainly certainly wouldn't let me see it. Um, so my first time watching it was when we recorded our 2015 episode. I'd never seen it before then, and I haven't seen it since then. <laughs> um, mostly because it's it's just it's it's not my kind of movie. It, it's not what I want out of my, I guess, you know, I, and we've talked before on this podcast about the difference between horrors and thrillers, you know, and I don't do, I don't do horror films. I, and, you know, I'm much more of a thriller type person, make it a little bit more cerebral for me. Let me think about it. Let me, you know, plant some seeds, you know, do pull a Hitchcock and, uh, you know, let me develop some frightful things that are that are personal to me that are going to terrify me, as opposed to showing me. Well, here's here's what the bad guy is. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's almost laughable. You know, when you, when you look at the villain, you know what they 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 reveal the villain to you, and you're like, all right, I I, I guess that would be scary at the time. And the reveal with those goofy arms hanging off the sides. Yeah, like you know, it, it's it's almost it's almost comical. But in you know, in terms of my type of movie, this this isn't it. So I'm not going to watch this one. I'm not going to watch the Friday the Thirteenth. I'm not going to watch the Hellraisers or or the Halloweens or whatever. You know, these slashers with with lots of blood. It's not my thing. This is gonna be a short podcast. <laughs> well, no, because I want to find out. I want to find out, you know, what Bo had to say about it, having just watched it thirty six within the last thirty six hours. Um, I for me, I, the first time, I I think things worked a little bit backwards for me. The first time I remember the, I mean, I, Freddy Krueger was marketed to kids all the time in the eighties. I mean, I remember never having seen this movie. I still knew who Freddy Krueger was, you know. 
kids in school. You'd see the gloves all over the Halloween stores and all the yeah. costumes, and it was everywhere. You had costumes, you had bubble gum, you had lunch boxes, you had like all this stuff. And that's what's weird about it is Freddy Krueger being a child murderer and child molester um, from this movie. You then suddenly market that character to kids. And I mean, I remember as a kid, just I didn't know anything about the movie. I didn't know anything about his character. All I knew was, oh, yeah, there's that one horror movie that's got the guy in the hockey mask, Jason. Never seen that one either, but I know that one. Um, you got the other one, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know that one. That's that Leatherface guy with the chainsaw that kills people. I know Freddy Krueger because all the kids talk about it. Somebody's older brother probably showed it to him, and that's how we all knew about it. And they're selling stuff in the stores. Like you said, Bo, they had the Halloween costumes everywhere. Um, you know, it just, it was, it was weird. I knew about this movie before I saw this movie. And, and you knew then, the song, you knew the one, two, Freddy's oh, yeah. coming for you. Like that was. Yeah. I mean, I knew the premise of the movie before I ever saw it. Like the, you know, don't fall right. asleep because he'll come kill you in your dreams. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that just from like word of mouth, talking to other people my age who probably didn't see it either, but had an older family member who went and saw it. And then they overheard something about it. And then they shared it with somebody else and they tell two friends they tell two friends and so on and so on. Um, but the first time I ever got exposed to the actual character of Freddy Krueger was actually from uh, Freddy's Nightmares. It was a TV series that they did from, I think, it was late 80s. It was like 88 to 90. And I remember when I go to my grandparents' house, they had a they had like an RV. They had like a trailer um, it, kind of in the back of their driveway. And I would always ask, you know, I don't want to sleep in the same room with my sister and any of the other cousins that are there. Can I go sleep out there? I want to sleep by myself. I don't want to have a bunch of other little kids around, um, you know, bugging me and keeping me up at night. So I always asked if I could sleep out in that trailer. And I partly the reason I did that was because I knew there was a TV out there. And so I would go sleep out there by myself and I'd put that TV on and I would stay up way too late and I would watch stuff I probably shouldn't have been watching. One of those things was the Freddy's Nightmares TV series. And I remember watching that and it was it was creepy. It was like an anthology series. It was a little bit like a Tales from the Crypt kind of a deal. And so I used to watch that all the time. And then the first time I ever saw Nightmare on Elm Street was our when we had moved over to England. We had a babysitter who was probably... 16, maybe 17, um, down the street, family, friends. She came over to watch us one time, and I don't remember if it was on TV or if she had brought a copy of it to watch as soon as we all fell asleep. Well, she decided we weren't falling asleep fast enough, so she put it on. And she's like, all right, I'm going to put this oh, movie on. Oh, because that's going to make you go to sleep faster. Oh, exactly. She's like, I'm going to put this movie <laughs> on. Um, if you guys want to go to bed, go to bed. Otherwise, I'm putting this on. If you want to watch it, I'm going to be in here. So at the time, I was probably 11 my sister would have been eight, and I think we sat in there and we watched this movie with her, and it absolutely, I mean, I thought, well, this is cool. This is terrifying, but it's cool, and it just absolutely terrified my sister. I mean, she was way too young to have seen this movie, um, and that's the first time I remember seeing the full movie. Then I didn't remember too much about it. I just remembered it being really creepy and really freaked me out, and then I think I watched it again in middle school, and at that point, I was like, all right this might be the kind of horror movie that I like. Like I, I like a good, you know, slasher horror movie every now and then um, I can get on board with this. And, but it still really freaked me out. Even in middle school, I remember being terrified of this movie. And then I started to watch some of the sequels and I was like, all right, well now Freddy Krueger is just stupid. 
Like now he's just tried to be too funny. They tried to take it too much in the comedy direction, and his one-liners are just dumb now. And I know we've done several of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies since we did this one in uh, in 2015, and since then I'm like, ugh. They whatever formula worked for this movie, they completely moved too far away from it in the subsequent sequels, mm-hmm. and it just it. I mean, they suffered because they're not good. Uh, so for me, that's that's kind of earliest memories for me. So I want to find out more, Bo. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna postpone some of my other questions here because I got I got to know. Um, what uh, what was it like? How do you feel? You doing okay? Yeah. Do you need a hug? No, I'm doing all right. Okay. You know, it, it was kind of like Jeff said. It, I think watching it for the first time as an adult, you sort of you see some of the goofy, some of the stuff that just doesn't hold up over time like the weird arms that were too long that they only really showed in that one scene and they were just ridiculous looking um i think some of the cheesier effects sort of ruined some of it there was still some really good creepy parts like i like what they did with his with the nails the sound that they used for the nails which i think i read was a fork scraping along the bottom of a metal chair um that was good but then some of the other stuff you're like okay (laughs) um yeah i mean i've seen it now it's good that i did i'm glad i finally saw it but it definitely but you know a, a 2022 audience isn't exactly what it was designed for mm-hmm. you know um, i guarantee if i'd seen it back then oh god it would have scarred me for life if i couldn't <laughs> handle gremlins could you imagine <laughs> i mean let's talk about that for a second <laughs> which, which may further explain why i am the way i am it certainly <laughs> can't uh can't be discounted as mm-hmm. part of the of the package yeah mm-hmm. yeah well and, and this too i remember at some point and maybe it was when i watched it again in middle school at some point i had also seen i feel like it was a behind the scenes or maybe it was just a, a horror movies in general but i watched some kind of behind the scenes documentary on um like movie makeup and how they do some of the visual effects and things like that. And I remember there being a specific segment of whatever it was I was watching that was on this Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And they talked about, you know, how they did the filming of the scene where uh, Tina gets lifted up in the air and she's like on the ceiling and she's getting, you know, know, slashed around and everything else. The scene where Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed and then there's the eruption of blood and then the other one was the scene of um, where Freddy's face and hands are kind of coming through the wall and it's it's become kind of elastic as he's like stretching out over her bed and that part. And I remember seeing that and thinking, all right, this is pretty awesome. Like I'm, I'm getting to see behind the scenes of a movie that terrified me. And now it's not so scary, but it's also really cool like how they did all this to be able to see that behind the scenes kind of stuff. That was one of the first times I ever remember getting to see kind of the, how it got made kind of uh, process. And it was for this particular movie. I was like, okay, that movie terrified me. But now that I get to see this, it's a little less I'm terrified and a little bit more, 
I got to respect the hard work that went into and the, and the ingenuity that went into how do we do this and not make it look fake? Because I will tell you, watching this again, it, it had been, I think I watched it just a few years, a couple years ago, but then the last time had been when we did this in 2015. I watched it again about a week or two ago. And I remember watching it going, for me at least, this really holds up for like a horror movie made in 1984 for it to have the kind of effects that even now, I mean, I, the, the long arm thing is kind of weird and a little quirky. Um, but some of the other stuff I'm like that pretty well holds up. It's, it's still pretty creepy and it's not too hokey looking. Um, you know, even in 2022. Well, and I think one of the things they did really well was like one of the creepiest things about him was his knife hands but that wasn't an effect. That was just a glove with knives on it. Like it wasn't trying to be over the top. And I think that was some of the stuff they did really well in this movie was they just kind of used real things. You know, they weren't some special blade or anything. They were steak knives. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing, nothing fantastic. We even got to see him build it. Yeah. You know? And that was even that like, that marketing piece. Like, if you showed a glove with knife hands to any kid in the 80s, I guarantee you they're going to know exactly where that's from. Whether they've mm-hmm. seen the movie or not, I could just about guarantee you they're going to know where that's from because they've heard it from their buddies. What about the story for this one? Does it, I mean, horror movie-wise, sometimes story can be a bit thin, especially in a slasher movie. Um does the story hold up for you? Is there anything unique about it for you? So I'm going to defend this one a little bit more maybe than, I, don't know, I mean, John, you did, I think, okay with, with putting, you know, like a little bit like the respect for it, because mm-hmm. again, you got to go back to that. Time oh, I love this think, movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think them seeing it new and now is what you do. You, seeing it back then had much more of an impact. And um, I think it is a little more cerebral than just being a slasher film. I almost don't like it to be called just a slasher film. Now, the subsequent ones, I agree, they just kept getting worse and worse and then became more of a joke, and I really didn't watch most of those. But the first one, I think, was intelligent. The first one, I think, was this preying upon something we all have to do, very much like the invasion of the body statues. You have to go to sleep, and there's nothing worse than, you know, like you could avoid going camping, you know, by yourself in the woods at a place where there's known killings you know like there's other other horror movies that don't hold weight because there's always something intelligent but here you can't go to sleep like but i have to go to sleep it's something i have to do every night so and and i think the the inspiration for it i know the background of this as well um there's you know there's two stories one is the origin of the freddy krueger character and two the origin of the story itself and that was about a um a kid from cambodia who his family escaped the killing fields. They came to, I believe it was LA. And we're gonna, you know, and this kid still was having these horrible nightmares and horrible nightmares that were so real and waking everybody up. And then one time they found him, you know, dead in his sleep and he had died in his sleep from either something with the nightmare or whatever, that was the story. Um, at least that was Craven told of his inspiration about reading reading that. And and that's just like, yeah, I mean, what if your nightmares could kill you? And I think not knowing whether it's not, and, and I think the exaggerated long arms and all that stuff is, is goes with, it, it's not meant to look super necessarily realistic because it's in that dream world and weird stuff happens in your dreams all the time. There's things that are warped. There's things that, you know, you're running through, you know, ground that you can't run fast enough from like, I've had nightmares before as a kid and 
and and it's a weird world out there that just things are just all not like normal life so it can almost seem cartoonish to a certain degree but that's kind of like what the nightmares can sort of be a twisted cartoon and i i think you know just how do you try to trap it how do you try to figure it out becomes a little bit more of a thriller versus like how do you stop this killer when it's in its dreams how do you how do you bait him in how do you so i think it became you know a, a, a much more cerebral film than than i think maybe it's giving credit sometimes and again the subsequent ones crazy not you know not a big fan of those kind of like the halloweens to a degree or the first one I think of that was is is great, and then after that it starts. Well, one and two are good, and Halloween. But yeah, I I I, I, lo- I think the story is good. It's a great. I think it's a good, interesting story. Like I wish that's one of those ones. I wish I would have thought of as a kid. Like, what do you do if you you know if your dreams could kill you? What if you're something in your dreams? And 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 the parents tied to parents. There's a history behind it. You know, so I think it's a little bit more intelligent than it's sometimes given credit for. Yeah, I'm. I did not sleep well after watching this movie mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> did not, not no. at all. I mean, I already had trouble sleeping as a kid anyway, but this movie, it's just, I, I bought into it. I completely bought I, into I it. I had Freddy Krueger dreams. Yeah. I had nightmares. I, yeah. I totally did after this and it was freaky. Like just. Which is funny. I, I mentioned earlier that I went back and re-listened to our Pee Wee's Big Adventure uh, episode when you when you were talking about how you know sometimes in your dreams it's weird stuff happens. I yeah. actually think it, Dennis, it was you, and you brought up like one of your one of your funniest things in the Pee Wee's Big Adventure movie was when he's describing his dream. Yeah, and and you said it's like, yeah, do you have any dreams? Yeah, I'm all alone. I'm rolling a big donut and the snake wearing a vest and, and like yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's weird stuff in dreams. So a guy with yeah. long weird lanky arms. Yeah, that you can't escape almost like it's yeah. like that's the the exaggerated thing. The arms can stretch out like that and still get you no matter what you can do. You can't run away faster no matter what, you know, that, like that's things coming out of the walls. Like all those are weird things that can happen sometimes in a dream or, or they exaggerate. Um, just quick side note to the, yeah, the other story, this one, I remember actually like so when I had to go to bed, I would go upstairs and, and you know, and looking at our street. I would kind of in the dark because we couldn't put all the lights on. So I'd be looking out a window in the summer and there'd often be people that would walk by. And this story creeped me out because it sort of happened to me, not to the same degree that happened to Wes Craven. But the story is Wes Craven said that um, he was the story of how Freddy Krueger's character came to be because there was that whole Cambodia story story in in that, that boy who died. But he said he was looking out the window in an apartment that he was with with his family it was late and then he was kind of looking out and then all of a sudden he heard shuffling, you know, down the street and some mumbling. So he kind of looked out the window and a guy was wearing basically the same similar outfit, hat, sweatshirt that turned out to be Freddy Krueger in the end, all of a sudden stopped and he's walking away from like him. He stopped and then looked back over his shoulder right at him and made eye contact with him and just stared him down. And he was like, how did this guy even notice stop and stare at me that I was just looking at him from this window from a second floor window? And then the guy just stared there. So he said Wes Craven then backed out of the, you know, slowly crept back so where the guy couldn't see him. So he kind of like dropped out of the window sight. And he said he counted to like 100 or 200 and just waited. And then he went back to the window and the guy was still there leering at him and still staring up at him. And it was the creepiest, freakiest thing that he ever did. Then he said that he heard footsteps like the guy was coming towards his apartment. So he ran down, woke everybody up in his family. And supposedly his brother had a knife out ready to like, you know, and eventually the guy wasn't there and he was gone. And in that story, just always 
like stuck with me because it was like I said, a similar incident happened to me. We're looking out a window and somebody then looked up at me and just saw me. They didn't stare at me for a long time, but they just, I always thought, how do they know I was looking out this window, you know, at them? It wasn't like they were walking towards me. They were walking past me already and, they, and I'm on our sidewalk and they just turned and looked up at the window. And, and it was just, you know, so that that movie ties and triggers a lot of probably me and I think like it triggers a lot of things in me because I, I did have issues going to sleep. I did have issues with nightmares at times because I was, again, the youngest of, of um, four boys and, and my dad, or youngest of five boys, four brothers, older brothers. So my dad was letting me see a lot of movies probably that I shouldn't have seen just because the other ones were older. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he'll be fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, and I would have dreams and nightmares. I wasn't ready probably for a lot of those films. And and I think it, you know, it, this one always stuck out as a, uh, one of those ones that just made it really hard to go to sleep. And well, thank you, going thank you for sharing. Stuff. Thank you for sharing those stories because now I'm not going to be sleeping tonight. <laughs> <laughs> just don't look out your window. I'm yeah, I just out. keep but the window blinds me. closed and it's fine. Such a, such a good origin to me, like those two stories of like, okay, one is based on to a certain degree, some truth in that this kid who just had some attack or something and died during like sleep, not necessarily from a Freddy Krueger character, but because of nightmares, maybe from the killing fields or from what he escaped, the anxiety, whatever it was, and, and kind of a mental um kind of breakdown or somehow, I, I don't know what the actual full story behind it, but just the one with the window and having that similar experience is like, it, it just I just thought, you know, what a great idea that when I when I think of sometimes movies and I go, man, I wish I would have thought of that. You know, like you think of Jaws, like make you make the first good shark film like that. It's like, man, a shark that's just eating, you know, and somebody's got to go out and catch it. Like, awesome, awesome idea. And you think of like, why couldn't I think of that? Or even Star Wars, like, you, why couldn't I think of the Star Wars? You know, like, geez, just think how rich you'd be. But um, no story of the space farmer thought, turned I terrorist. Pretty intelligent. I thought good idea and kind of like the what's the one with the uh the quiet a quiet place um you know and again is it flawless no do sometimes i think oh man i would have thought i could have done it better but at the same time i got to give credit like that's just a good idea i like that that's a good idea it's a it's a and so to think of like this character that can you know is haunting you in your dreams that you can't figure out how to kill how do you kill something that's a nightmare even though it can officially kill you you know like in what are the rules in that world? Yeah. It's a scary thought. And I think it's just, that's what a classic horror film is, is something that puts you in a spot where you're like, you do feel helpless. And like, if the characters do everything right, they're still in trouble. Like that's a scary feeling. So, yeah. All right. So this is my last question for nightmare on Elm street. And then we've got a very special edition of three questions uh, for the kind of the history of the podcast so far in the last seven years that we've been doing this. Uh, but my last question for nightmare on Elm street is, and I'm, I'll, I'll switch it. So you don't have to use the word favorite. Do you have a favorite scene or do you have a scene that is the most memorable for you from this movie? You don't have to say favorite. Cause if you don't want to see somebody like die in an eruption of blood, that doesn't have to be your favorite. That's probably the scene that I remember is, is the eruption of blood from the one time that I've seen this movie. Yeah. So that's what I'm going with. Something about the mom getting pulled through the window of the door at the end yeah. is yeah. very memorable. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. part of you that's thinking, you know, mom, if you'd said something an hour <laughs> ago, maybe everybody wouldn't be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm gonna, there's something about that. Yeah. 
Jeff, I think I'm going to, I was going to take yours, same thing. Like, even as a kid, that's the scene. I, even when I hadn't seen it for years, the scene I remember is, oh, yeah, Johnny Depp gets pulled into the bed and they're like, it erupts blood all over the room and all over the ceiling. And I, so that would be the one for me. But I might take the one that Bo, uh, you might have mentioned it before we even started recording, um, where uh, she is, Nancy is in the bathtub and Freddie's hand mm, comes yeah. up out of the water. And then it slides back down. She's got her eyes closed, so she doesn't see anything. And it slides back down, and then she opens her eyes, and then it comes back again. And like that, that one is creepy too. All right. So either hell, the yeah. either the uh, either the the bed scene or the bathtub scene. All right, uh, Dennis, yeah, did you have one? The bathtub scene. I go the syringe scene too, and the one that I think the one that oh, I still yeah. always remember is the ending that, like, um, like Bo said, with the mom getting through the door, and then the the I think it's the convertible top the closing, car with correct? the top, and, and, yeah, yeah, and then they're like trying trapped and kind of in the car as it's just driving away early, and you know but, right uh, away because that convertible syringe. top looks like his sweater. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. All right. Okay, well, that's going to do it for Nightmare on Elm Street. So those are our three movies, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, let us switch over to our very special edition of Three Questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one, and I've actually got some Twitter responses. I put these out there for our listeners as well. And so I've got some responses from uh, the Shirley podcast guys responded, um, had a couple of people respond on there. So I'll read their responses after we give ours. First question, which movie from our 400 plus episodes that we've done uh, was your favorite one that we did? I can easily answer that and say The Rocketeer. The Rocket. Do you not read the papers? Papers? <laughs> no papers um gosh um i'm gonna pull a pull a, a a u and pick more than one but my favorite because it's one of my favorite movies of all time was when we did hunt for red october but my favorite discussion might have been um when we did star trek five only because it actually talking about that movie brings an appreciation for it that i think it's that movie is tough. And I think talking about it though, brought a new appreciation for it. And I really appreciated that. Well, we shared our pain with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Excuse me. What, what does God need with a podcast discussion? Does God need with a <laughs> podcast? All right. I'm going to go. Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to go way, way back. And I'm going to say, I think because of discussion wise, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say the breakfast club. The fact that we did that yeah. in the library, the location, yeah. uh, gathering in a library on a weekend, having some food and um, Bo's wife um, 
as there was there as well, I believe, correct? Yes. And then we had, yep. uh, I think, Jay, was Jason still on at that point? He was. Yep. Jason. So it was just like a one of the first. I like. I did like the location podcast sometimes. You know where we're in a different place. So like we did the restaurants, but obviously noise is hard. But that one, that one's just a good discussion and a good, good, interesting perspectives. Um, and and we really kind of broke it, and it made me think about. And honestly, like made me think about that movie in a different way for the first time where I was like, wow, listening to someone else's opinion of movies, revealing things that I didn't quite think about or things I might've missed or things I didn't necessarily um, catch the first time. Um, just showed the power of a good podcast where if you get a good group of people talking around about a film that uh, you know you could learn something new that you thought you already knew everything about a film and maybe change your mind and change your experience of that film. So. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go with overall discussion in that one. I'm going to go with that. Uh, I also do like, and still have a good memory of the one where me and, me and, um, Jeff Mizuka pretty much told Pat that he knows nothing about baseball with uh, field of dreams <laughs> <laughs> where it was like, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. All right. That was great. He's like, well, I might not be right about that. Yep. You're wrong. Yep. You're wrong. <laughs> Sit there in your wrongness and be wrong. <laughs> And Pat falling asleep occasionally at some of those. Well, you know. <laughs> Love you, Pat. <laughs> Forever in our hearts, Pat. Forever in our hearts. <laughs> Jeffrey, what's yours? Oh, God, I don't know. I, I've got moments from so many that I've, I've really, truly enjoyed. Um, you know, I, I think of when, like, like, Dennis just said when uh, when we were giving Pat a hard time about baseball or when Pat and I got into it uh, in Temple of Doom. <laughs> um, when, uh, you know, when when Bo gave us his uh, his classic blunder of of blunders that that we recall to this day, um, you know, just the, there's been so many fun moments that I've really enjoyed throughout all of uh all of the podcasts you know well that's um, that's question two what's your favorite movie we've done so far they're all good man <laughs> i mean can i just reject your question i see i figured I, I was gonna pick two that i thought you would pick what would you think i was gonna pick i thought you'd clearly pick, i need help yeah I, I thought you'd pick uh casablanca and who framed roger rabbit roger rabbit was good Roger Rabbit was good, but you know, actually, I'm, I'm looking back on the list, and um, you know, like Dennis going way back towards the beginning, um, like maybe the tenth episode we did was uh, Boonies. Oh yeah, and I think you know why that one stands out to me is because I think out of the movies we had done up to that point that was the first one that I was like really excited about. Right. Like, and I'd heard of a lot of these, you know, some of these other movies that we had done, I had seen breakfast club. I had seen 16 candles. I had seen, um, last starfighter, you know, I had seen teen wolf, but when, it, when we got to Goonies, I was like, but I know the Goonies. I've seen these other movies, but I know this one. I'm excited to talk about this movie that I really know. Um, but yeah, Casablanca for sure is good. Roger Rabbit, of course, is good, but 
I don't know. Yeah. They're all good. They're all yeah. good. We do good things here. We do. We try to at least. All right. Well, I had a couple of. Or did I say mine? I said mine. I said Rocketeer. Um, so I would. Uh, I'm not going to vote for Pat because he may call the love line later, and I can edit that in here. Um, but if I could vote for Pat, I would say probably Batman '89 or Commando. Because I remember asking him early on, like Pat, what movie are you excited for? Batman. Like, dude, that's four years from now. Batman. So, ex- so excited for it. Um, but the other one, I remember when we watched Commando, and that was the first time Pat had ever seen it. It was it was like how Ray is excited for the firehouse in Ghostbusters. That's how Pat was with Commando. Dude, I can't believe I've never seen this movie before. It was awesome. There were guns, and there was shooting, and there were chases, and there were... Yeah, so I'm not going to vote for you, Pat, so feel free to call in, but um, that would be my guess, if I had to guess. We had a couple of people respond to us on Twitter. We had uh, Tristan Martin on Twitter. Uh, He is part of the Oklahoma contingent of listeners that we have. Uh, His response was, that one's easy, and he gave us a gif of the Rocketeer. Um, We had the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, and I believe that this was Jason responding from that account. He said, my favorite of your episodes has always been Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He said, that was the one that solidified the fact that I was going to listen to you guys each week. The chemistry was there, and you guys were having a great time. He said, I also really enjoyed when we did Stone Cold this last year in 91, and Die Hard when we did that one for 1988. And then the other half of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, uh, D. Graves, responded and said, for me, it was your When Harry Met Sally episode uh, for the talk on deli sandwiches alone. (laughs) One of our classics that devolved into a food discussion. As they tend to do so often. As they tend to do quite a bit, yeah. All right, question two. What's your favorite moment from the podcast so far? Well, it would have to be the time I just lost it and couldn't couldn't get back on the rails. That, I don't even remember what the episode was. I, I just remember big, I lost that big Lebowski? it. Yeah, I have been trying to... I don't remember which episode it was that we started talking about that. But, I thought it was uh, Big Lebowski because you were talking about well, but we haven't. Balls. We haven't. Right. We haven't done Big Lebowski yet. Oh, yes. But it was so the. What, so what episode was that then that you were talking about that scene from Big that's, Lebowski? I've I've been going back and I've been trying to find it because it was the it's the gif of him with the towel and yes. he's like rolling the bowling oh ball back God. and forth. But because it's a gif, it goes on forever. It will never stop. And <laughs> and Bo completely lost his composure and i i want to say i may have even edited out a couple of minutes of you laughing and it still was like three or four minutes of you not being able to breathe someone had figured out that they made a movie the jesus rolls yeah that was how and i don't remember what episode it's in but somehow it might even have been in the news section before the thing started might be yeah i have to go look. no it had to be something with john Turturro in it was it miller's crossing do you think Maybe. Maybe. All right, we'll have to go back to that one. Because it had to be something with John Turturro in it, because that's the only thing that could have sparked us to go down that side road that got us to that movie, which got us to that gif, Mm -hmm. which just, well, blew the doors off the whole thing. It was, oh. You mean mean the gif that I just texted to all of you right now? (laughs) Oh, John, (laughs) you're going to set him off again. Yep. Uh, It's just so good. (laughs) <laughs> yep, there I at goes. least can control myself now that day I just couldn't 
I don't know if it was a combination of being late at night. I don't remember if I'd had any podcast fuel that day. Uh-huh. But, whew. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm still recovering some breath from that. Night. Uh-huh. Uh, Jeffrey, I think you tweeted yours out as well. Yeah, I did, because, of course, it, it, it comes back to <laughs> Bo famously famously dropping that his uh his favorite moment in rocky three was the wax on wax off scene yes (laughs) and we all sat there in a referring to clubber and his lang (laughs) we we sat there in a brief moment of silence as we all looked at each other (laughs) thinking what the hell is he talking about and then just laughed yeah, well, that's all we could do. I had just, uh, that's what we got for doing two movies at once. <laughs> uh, and the fact yeah. that we keep bringing it up, you know, that was that was how many years ago? That was 2015. We, yeah, that was that like six or, six or seven years ago, yeah. You know, and we, and we still reference it and we still laugh about it because it just, it, it was a good moment for all of us. Might have been the moment too when I, at least for me, I realized like, you know what, this this podcast that we're doing doesn't have to be this super serious thing. And I know going into it, I think I even put on uh, on Twitter at one point going into it, I was so nervous about sharing my thoughts and opinions. And, you know, it's one thing sitting around the lunch table with you guys, but it's another thing when your thoughts and opinions get out there for people to listen to. And am I going to sound like an idiot or am I going to sound like, I've, you know, some knowledge or no knowledge or, or a vast knowledge. And just, in, you know, in that moment and just sitting back and laughing at, at this blunder and just like, you know what, we don't have, I don't have to take this so seriously. We can just have fun with this. We can have a conversation like we usually have. So that was the positive that I took out of that moment. And also being able to hold that over bow for the rest of our lives. Well, and it's for the last seven years, if you, I mean, if you haven't figured it out by now, if you sound like an idiot, it's probably just guilt by association. You know, you're in good company. Indeed. <laughs> well, that Dennis was actually silent for some reason. <laughs> yeah, Dennis is not saying anything. Is he dead? <laughs> he no. might be. <laughs> Dennis, you turn up, turn up your hearing aid, buddy. Check your battery. Aid. Check the batteries. Um, get off my love. Yeah. Um, so I had actually, uh, Bo, yours was the same as mine. It was you losing it with the bowling ball gif. Um, but I did have a couple of other others as well that I wanted to just keep in the back pocket there just in case. Um, I did have one of my other favorites was, um, Dennis walking out of the podcast during the Howard, the duck episode. (laughs) Can't hear Duck. you. That was, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Duck boobs. There is no such thing as a, as that movie. Uh-huh. That exists. What That's the, what my the, therapist said. The uh the Duck episode boobs. There you go. The episode title of that one I think was taken directly from Dennis. Uh the episode title was Vomit Breath. <laughs> uh. Oh. Good times. And my other one of my other favorite uh, routines that we tended to have, and it was uh, not intentional, at least on our part, was how Pat wouldn't stop hitting the table every time we'd record. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And his constant defense of it 
it wasn't just yeah. me. <laughs> no, buddy, it was pretty much you. <laughs> right. He will tell you though. He sat. There were times when he sat on his hands, and he, did. And he could still hear the uh, yeah. someone hitting the table. So yeah. he knows it wasn't just him. No. Which is, you know, it leads me to another good Pat moment when he was talking about um, sitting on sitting on the back of the boat. Yes. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't remember what we were talking about in that episode but it was it was something related to a drum beat and that's not how the phrase came out yeah we were talking about using a a drum beat for something and pat was super excited because it's music and drumming and all that and you just talked about how sitting on on sitting on the back of the boat and you're just beating it off and you're just going yeah (laughs) and john and i john and i just looked at each other like what did he just say John got this little uh, grin on his face as I'm not editing that out at all. <laughs> Pat, we love you. We it's miss good you. good to be the king. Yeah. yeah, so mine have a couple. Uh, again, I'm probably pulling the Mizuki here, and I'm not going to give you just one. But um, the I love that that's my legacy. It is. Can yeah. I just say it, I love my legacy is the Mizuki. fact that that <laughs> I, I refuse to answer with just one response. It's It'll forever be known as the Mizuka Maneuver. So I think that I, I, I the, what is the specific question here different than the other one? What is the specific question? So I try to get uh, favorite moment from the podcast. Man, I think, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to give you three. I think when we were at uh, tacos, El Norte trying to film that one recorded, <laughs> there's noise in the background and it was just like something with water. There's just a bunch of stuff going on. The other, other one would be the moment when we were trying to explain to Pat, the ending of never ending story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but did it happen? I think that was one where he just was <laughs> Yeah. So that would that I think I'm gonna go with those. Did he did he tell you that he uh he showed that movie to his kids? No, he didn't. He did like a week ago. And when they happened? I guess when the question came up, yep, it happened. Let's move on. <laughs> Well, what uh, was what was funny about that was when he told me when he told me that he was going to be showing his kids that movie. He's like, he texts, all right? Did he text? He might have texted all of us, and he said something like, "Yeah, you know, the kids really love animals and they really love horses, and I'm going to show them Never Ending Story." I'm like, "Oh, buddy, oh, there's a scene you might want to skip then." Yeah, <laughs> unless you're willing to pay for a lot of therapy. Yeah, eh, they're Pat's kids. Yeah, He's already got therapy in the budget. Yeah, they'll be fine. With with uh, all three of them could get maybe a group discount on therapy yeah. after watching Never Ending Story, and they could. There you they, go. And this therapist explains it to Pat. But how does that make you feel? I don't know. I don't understand the ending. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> and how does that make you feel? Yeah, that was that was actually one of the ones I had in the back of my mind too. I was like, "Yep, yeah, the Pat Never Ending Story was a good one." But I do, I, and I will, I will throw in the the Commando one too, because that when he saw that for the first time, just his reaction to Commando, he was just so excited, like he had, dis- he was like a kid who had discovered a new toy that no one else had ever seen before, and he just well, that was, was kind of was that kind of the birth of Pat's everything is awesome like yes persona. That's kind of how it is in my head. Yeah. It's well, it, it, it probably on the podcast. But on the this, podcast, this yeah. Transcends him. This is in real life. This goes back to yeah. uh, years ago with uh, cross country team and the road to awesome and 
and everything else. So there's a, <laughs> there was, there was a, there was a team that wasn't, he was trying to motivate them. And we were in the cafeteria doing like cool down kind of stretches and stuff. And he was, you know, we were talking to him and, and, and there was some rough moments and, you know, and at this point I'm kind of like, okay, some of these kids are being, you know, like they need it. And, and Pat was just trying to be so positive. Everything is awesome, but you guys are awesome. We love you. Everything's awesome. And I just kept saying, I think I interrupted him and said something about along the lines of, well, it's like the road to awesome. <laughs> You're on your way there, but you guys aren't there yet. I was, in fact, <laughs> I was walking through. Everything's already awesome. And I always say that, nope, no, nothing's actually awesome. You're on the road to awesome. You're I, you're in that direction. So I don't want to kill all the spirit here. But at the same time, Pat, some of these kids are not awesome right now. <laughs> I remember that because I was walking through the cafeteria <laughs> as that speech was being given. And I remember just seeing your face up there. And you're like, he's like, yeah, you guys are awesome. You're you know, everything was so good and, and you're up there and like okay well but now some but you still got work to do right you gotta and like i mean, see you're trying to like backpedal it's a every, all the, it's like the the love fest from pat and then you're like okay no 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 hold on you, you guys actually have to keep doing work you gotta <laughs> yeah because yeah. because you're not there you're on the road to awesome yeah but you are not awesome yet that was all my <laughs> kind of like counter to his everything's awesome <clears throat> What's the, what is it the, uh, what's the song? Uh, it's, uh, everything is, everything is awesome. Yeah. 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 That's, that's bad. <laughs> everything is awesome. <laughs> All right. And our last question from our three questions is, are there any movies from 84 to 92 that we have overlooked that deserve a viewing? Probably. <laughs> yes. Is the answer. <laughs> Can I just make that my answer? I'm going to say I went back and looked at the list and especially those first couple of years, like 84 and 85, we did uh, because all of our discussion to get the podcast started was about 84 movies, but we were doing it in 2015. So I'm like, ah, oh, man, we got to we got to include these 84 movies. So our first year was a mixture of 84 and 85 that we did in 2015. So I feel like we we kind of cheated both of those years a little bit by not doing quite as many movies from each one. So I went back and I looked and I was like, well, what movies, if I was going to go back and, you know, grab a movie that looks like maybe one that I haven't even seen before, um, what would I do uh, what would I do now? Like if we could have one more movie from one of those years and I went back and looked and I was like, you know what movie I, that gets, you know, great reviews I have never seen before. And I would love to see it at some point is once upon a time in America. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen that one. We didn't get a chance to do that one for the podcast. It came out in 84. Um, but I looked at the cast. I looked at, you know, reviews that it was getting. I didn't look at the the plot or anything like that, other than knowing that it's a, you know, crime drama. Um, but I was like that one, I will, I will pick that one for mine. I would go 1984 one that I always felt it was like a sleeper one, which was uh, called birdie. Okay. Matthew Modine and uh, Nicholas cage early film. I think that's one that I wish we would have done just because sometimes it's nice to have the movies that people haven't heard of. Um, that might have been a sleeper that year. It might have been just an interesting movie. So I always kind of want that one. Did we do an episode on The Natural? Uh, no, I don't think we did. 
I, that I was, I thought we did. And I think we talked about it at some point and that's why it made me feel like we did. Cause that was another one on my list too. Being the baseball films, the natural was one I felt we should have done if we didn't dedicate a whole one to it. But I think yeah. somehow that came up. We discussed the natural, I believe at some point, whether it was through another baseball film, like field of dreams. Yeah. It was either Bull Durham or, or Bull or yeah. So we had discussed it on this podcast at some point, but I don't think it was actually a featured movie. No, but yeah, that would, yeah. Yep, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering which movies we uh, we've because we refer to other movies throughout, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the thing you'll re- you'll bring up another movie and then you're thinking, mm-hmm. well, do we do we, you know we discuss that, but do we actually have a you know a full fledged yeah yeah? So if I if I had to pick an, a 1984 movie, I'd probably say The Natural would be one that I would love to uh, love mm-hmm. to revisit at some point. Although I'm you know I'm looking at a list of movies from 84 85 86 87 88 and there's a number of movies that stand out like oh this this was a good one this would have been this would have been fun to review or i had no idea this one came out in this in this year yeah like cloak and dagger i remember watching as a kid that one i had you know was a lot of fun because um, did we do witness too we did do witness correct yeah yeah did we do? Did we end up doing some kind of wonderful? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 I thought that was one yeah. of my favorite. I don't think we did pretty in pink, but we did some kind of wonderful. Okay. Which is what, yeah. Uh, my neighbor Totoro is somewhere in the late eighties. That yeah. that's a great one. I think we. I think we we did, we that did one. Totoro. We did it. Uh, did we, it was a double do episode with um, Akira. No. no. Um, uh, was it? Uh, oh gosh, I got to look it up now because I know we did it because I was just having a conversation. Yeah, my neighbor Totoro and Akira. I wasn't crazy. Okay. Did we do so Willow? Was... Yes. Yeah. God, I have no recollection. Well, <laughs> <of any> <laughs> see, that's a funny thing is once you've done like four hundred, then it's like, oh yeah. wait a minute, did we do this? For real? What about Ruskies? Did we do? We didn't do Ruskies. We didn't did do we? Ruskies. No. Nope. That was a fun one. We didn't do Dune. Yeah, we did the original, the original Dune from '84. Yeah, um, we did Highlander, but we didn't do Highlander Two, the quickening, the crappening. <laughs> um, do we, we do Hoosiers? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. we did do Hoosiers. That's what I thought. And then um, the other one was Heartbreak Ridge. We didn't do that one, right? Didn't do that one. No, no. Yeah, that one I would have liked. That would have been good. And then there's a a quirky little, I think it's quirky. Um, Vi Warshawski was a was a action comedy crime drama from 91 that i always loved as a kid because my uncle had it on vhs that he had recorded off a cable and we would watch it randomly a lot i don't know so that one always comes up when i look at lists of 91 movies I think one though, is- if I if I go back to the spreadsheets where we did like all the voting for which ones we were going to do, yeah. um, I have a feeling that you might have been the only one that voted for that one. Probably because yeah. I'm probably most time when I bring in that movie up, people look at me like I have four heads. I, I probably looked at it talking about. Well, because I think I remember looking it up at the time. I was like, Bo voted yeah. for this one. I've never heard of it before. Yeah. Yeah. I think the color of money we didn't do right. And that would have been when I loved it. We did that one. We, we did, did color of money. Yep. I don't think I was yep. on that one then. Yeah, I didn't think I got that one. Okay. I wasn't there for that one. We do uh lean on me. Uh it rings a bell, but I don't know no. why. We did no, stand Joe, by me. Joe Clark, I don't think we did that one. 
No. We did Stand By Me. We didn't do Lean On Me. Yeah. Lean On Me is a great film. It's a lot of movies, man. <laughs> We've done a lot. Yeah. I've done just a bit. All right. Well, I've been making a list here of everything you've been saying. So if we need any uh, Patreon episode ideas or if we ever run what out about of ideas. Legend? We... Oh, that was my other favorite moment, I would say, of it, too. After that, I was, There was one more with Pat. Sorry. He's got to go back. And that was pretty much any time that Pat trashed somebody's Patreon oh. movie. <laughs> <laughs> what was this? As soon as, somebody, as soon as Pat trashed somebody's movie, they became a Patreon. Or it was like the same <laughs> week. Yeah. That, that, yeah. And then he, then he would pretty much apologize profusely <laughs> we you know somebody new would join people. somebody new would join we'd yeah. get them on the show and they'd be like what's your favorite movie oh i think home alone is probably my favorite oh man i just i that episode hasn't come out yet but i'm i'm so sorry for when you listen to it and now we he's so afraid them, to not like anything yeah. it's kind of we funny probably send people fruit baskets and flowers after it, i bet you probably because yeah. he would just continually apologize mm-hmm We did, uh, Jeff, were you asking, did we do Legend? Yeah. We did do Legend, yeah. Did we? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They, no. I, you know, over over seven years, there's a lot of movies. It is. It's, it's yeah. one, two, three, four, at least eight movies that we've done. So, you know, after that, yeah. they, they just all blend together. Yeah. Eight's the magic number, huh? Mississippi <laughs> Burning. We, we did that. I don't, I don't think we did that one, no. It was Willem Dafoe, and yeah, it was good. That was yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah, go through this list forever. Yeah, there's there, on occasion there are times where I go back and I look at the list, and I was like, "Huh, I watched that movie." <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'll I'll trust my list, I guess. Oh, we so, didn't. Uh, so maybe you could explain to also the people like so the list of movies that we did do and we did get through pretty much every movie. What is your thought process? And when you go through and you pick, like, what are you looking for as good podcast movie choices out of all those films? So when I go through, um, usually it's about every summer. So when I go through every summer, I will start to make the list for the year ahead. And I will first go to, is it the numbers.com? And I'll look up all the movies that came out that year and what their box office was. And okay. so my first run through of the list is if it made over 10 million in the box office, it immediately goes in the list of us or ones for us to vote on. And then once I've done that, then I'll go through and I'll take a couple of different websites and I'll find movies that are pretty highly ranked in terms of the ratings that users leave or critics leave. And then if, it, if they didn't make a lot of money, but they're highly ranked, then I'll throw those on the list. And then I'll kind of just go through and I'll be like, all right, are there any others that are like super quirky, you know, like if I find an article that's like, here are 20 movies that people usually overlook from 1992. I'm like, all right, let me take a look at some of those. And I'll, if they look interesting or they look weird, I'll throw some of those on. And then I'll put together that whole list of like, what is it? It's usually like 115 <laughs> movies or a hundred, knowing that we only have room for probably 48 every year by the time we get done with, you know, taking a break sometimes. Um, or if we do other movies. So then I'll put out that list of like 115, and then that's what I'll have you guys vote on, and then I'll put that out then to on our website, and then anybody who wants to come to our website and vote on that too. But I kind of start with what made at least $10 million, what you know maybe didn't make as much money but got high rankings from either critics or, or other users on different websites, 
And that's usually like the first run through of the list. And then from there, it's if the majority of us vote on it, um, then it's probably immediately going to go through. I mean, certain movies are going to go on the podcast no matter what. Um, it, nobody but me voted for Alien Three, but that's on the podcast this year. So, and I and I don't care. Um, <laughs> it's good to be the king. It's, it's good to be the king sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's usually the process. Yeah. So that would explain like why Ernest goes to jail, wasn't it? Well, and sometimes if we've already done one, so we did <laughs> Ernest. Uh, we did Ernest goes to camp, and yeah, uh, I think we did a couple. Well, of This them. time he goes to jail. Well, I know. Yeah. We've, hey, we've already done, over the course of seven years, we've done three Ernest movies. But this time he goes to jail. I know. Right. I know. I'm just waiting for Scared Stupid. <laughs> hey, I think we, get out of jail. We did, uh, we did Ernest's first movie. We did Dr. Otto Polarity and Riddle of the Gloom Beam. So I think that scores us a lot of points with the Ernest uh, fan community. Because <laughs> no one else has ever heard of that movie. Booyah base. It's all about the booyah base in that movie. All right, gents. Well, that's going to do it for our 400th episode. And I just, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a lot of editing for you. I, it's, it's a little crazy. You know, it's, yeah. I, I think that at one point, maybe around episode 200 or so, he just stopped editing altogether and just puts these <laughs> things up there. Puts them on like Joe Rogan. I mean, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't edit anything I say anymore. I don't care. No, but it's I, I have a lot of fun doing this with you guys. And it's if you would have told me like seven years ago when we started doing this little podcast that we'd be doing this like once a week or every other week and, you know, hopping on here, you know, had to go to Zoom a little while ago. And, and that's typically how we do it now. But um, used to always have fun when we'd be able to get together and do some of them in person. And um, it's just been I don't know All right, for the last seven years. I would have hung out with you guys anyway. But it just kind of gives us an extra excuse to make this a more regular thing. Um, and then we, you know, as, as stuff comes up, we do what we could do. But it's just, it's always been fun for me. And it's fun to put this out there and then also meet other people that are just as, just as much lovers of movies and, and movie history and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, just the, just the fact that I get to do this with you guys every week. And then we also get to rope other people in from other countries and other parts of this country and, Oh yeah, I mean, look, yeah. look, you know, look at the Shirley guys, right? Yeah, like that. It's been great getting to know those guys, and uh, you know, the fact that we were able to do a thing with on on our end that inspired them to try doing a thing on their end, and their show is just friggin' fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. That is always that's always one of my favorites. Every time, every time a new one pops up. But so, thank you to you guys for the last seven years because I've had a lot of fun. Well, it's kind of like, you're, it's your ba- I mean, it's your baby, and we're just happy to be your three men and a baby. I'm happy to be your Steve Gutenberg. I'm happy for you to be my Steve Gutenberg, too. <laughs> and you're, you know. If you're Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> well, he's Jack. He said dance, because that's who turned out to be the biological father. So True. somebody's got to be Tom Selleck. I mean, I I'll be, be Tom that. Selleck. I'm fine with, I, I'm fine with being Tom Selleck. I yeah, I bet you Tom. are. <laughs> so, so, Bo, are you Ted dancing? I I'll well, take you that. because that no, that would be you because you're the biological father of the podcast. Oh, I guess so. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I'm what's her With name? Nancy. And... I'm Nancy Travis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat, Pat's the baby. Bingo. <laughs> Pat's Pat's our little lady. <laughs> 
Uh, it's awesome. Pat. I think it's great. I, think, I love being a baby. <laughs> we miss you, Pat. The most awesome baby. He's snoring somewhere. <laughs> Hope you get better, buddy. <laughs> All right, gents. Well, that's going to do it for the 400th. Um, everybody, we've got some episodes coming up here pretty soon. If you want to, uh, if you want to get At this rate, it'll be about another 10 minutes or so beyond the next right, episodes. We'll, we'll have to start recording here in just a couple of seconds. Um, our next episodes coming up for the rest of this month are our Patreon is death trap from 1982. Um, death that, trap. Death trap. Uh, last of the Mohicans scent of a woman and the bodyguard finish off March for us. And then in April, our uh, let's see, our Patreon for April is High Noon from 1952. Then we've got Patriot Games, Under Siege, A Few Good Men, and Universal Soldier. And then in May, our Patreon is Singing in the Rain from 1952. And then our regular episodes are Cool World, Newsies, Aladdin, and Noises Off. Excellent. We have a lot, a lot of good stuff coming out. I'm going to be a little busy the second half of May. So if okay. we can chat at some point about the schedule of recording, I would, there's a lot of those in May I would love to be a part of, but I kind of figured May would be your month. Yeah. 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 We've got we'll baby get... number three due in the middle of May. Well, stop then. We already got two for the third, you know. Stop procreating. That's the answer be, here. You don't have to be as involved in the third one. Oh, no? No. Oh, well, you know, at least, oh. yeah, even baby books aren't needed. You have to write down when they first walked or any of that crap. Yeah. I'm that number point, five. Don't, don't I'm like number the... five, and my parents didn't give a crap by number five. And look how you turned out. Exactly. I mean, my, my number three, book, don't want to take care of me. Not like, my brother has like hair locks in his, but you know, there's like all that. Like the first minute he did this, the first minute, he did. me pretty much, I've got basically nothing in. It stops after page three, they stop filling shit out. And then there's not even a picture of me. It's an it's a it's a um, a stick figure drawing. <laughs> it just kind of drew, and they even finish it. It's kind of drew like oh, this is kind of what he looks like. He was born sometime. I think, in that I, stuff. Uh, like, think I touched on a nerve or something. Oh well, <laughs> yeah, so, so you can get away with a lot less at number three. <laughs> just approve the name, and you're good. I was the thank first. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Doctor Spock. <laughs> I was the firstborn in my family, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> there may have been other kids born after me and my family you don't even have to buy that kid gifts anymore you're just giving him the gifts and clothes from the other kids so anywho that's true. may <laughs> may looks like a good month all right <laughs> well, <laughs> well we'll work out the schedule we'll, we'll get you in there i just call to say i love you Ed Rooney's office. Ferris Bueller's online, too. Hey, guys. It's Pat here. So sorry I couldn't be there for our 400th episode. But, uh, you know, family things and, and kids grow up and have band concerts and all that exciting stuff that we get to go to as parents. But I surely missed uh, I surely missed being with you guys for the 400th episode. Boy, where has that time gone? It's really been that many years. Crazy to think about. So I'm just going to fire off my answers to the three questions real quick. I'd have to say... Uh, favorite movie that we've done, I mean, how can you pick? But I guess I would have to go with um, something right off my top ten list and say Back to the Future. It is like a perfect movie. And I every time I watch it, I watch it with my kids. It definitely brings back the thoughts of the 80s and all that time period. But it's also timeless, right down to the very concept that the movie was based on. 
Uh, it's just a timeless movie. Love it. Honorable mention has to go to Commando uh, because that was just seeing that for the first time for the podcast blew my mind. What did we miss? Boy, I don't think we've missed anything, but if we have, I'm sure we'll have to get it on a, on a recap show because, my gosh, we've gone through a whole lot of movies. This might be a little inside baseball, but if we, I was going to pick anything that we might have missed, it would have to be from our TV uh, spectacular uh, Patreon episode, Best TV Shows, because somehow I missed talking about Mystery Science Theater 3000. And that is just, I know I'm talking shows, not movies, but that is just a fantastic show. Definitely has a cult following, but anytime I turn that on, I can just be like any tension, any bad things going on can just be forgotten about, and I can just enjoy watching what they do, uh, roasting movies, commenting, and all that. So I'd have to say if we missed anything, it would have been on me. I should have brought up Mystery Science Theater 3000 more when talking about the uh, uh, on that Patreon episode about the great TV shows. And that brings us to best memories. Well, I'm going to have to go this way. My favorite memory is just the whole thing. From that first day, John, when you came up and said, hey, we're going to do a movie podcast. And I was like, well, what's that? And your answer was, well, it's like kind of like a book discussion group, but about movies. And then the fact that we're going to record it and have other people listen to it. And I'll fast forward and all the people that we've met, uh, all these awesome Patreon people that, like, like give us money, our listeners, our subscribers that, like, check us out each week and interact with us on, um, on social media is just so awesome and humbling. The fact that we've been able to talk about movies and it's like we didn't know each other growing up when these came out, but the fact that we were having all the same experiences with them is just so cool. And we get to share them, discuss agree sometimes we disagree but we get to like talk about where we're coming from and our thoughts on the movies that is just such an awesome thing and the fact that we've met people through this whole thing i mean the surely you can't be serious podcast those guys are friends that i can like pick up the phone call talk about movies interact with text back and forth and i mean we've met them through this uh experience so can i pick one memory no i guess i just have to go in general just the whole ride all the way through the wonderful people we've met, the movies we've been able to discuss, and just having this experience. It's been great. So thank you, John. Thank you, guys. Thank you to our listeners and fans and all that kind of thing. Just uh, have a great day. We'll look forward to uh, seeing you at episode 401. Bye now. All right, everybody. You can find us 30 Podcast, pretty much all the different social media outlets. We're 30podcast.com is our website where you can find all 400-plus of our previous episodes. Patreon, if you want to get those bonus episodes as well, any level of support there gets you the bonus monthly episodes as well as a few others that we've thrown in here or there. So head on over there if you want to check that out. But as always, everybody, thank you so much for joining us each and every time. Thank you to all of you guys who join uh, me and just I always have fun talking movies with you. So thank you guys so much for doing this for the last seven years. And let's do, I don't know, you, maybe seven more? Sure, why not? We'll just keep sure. That's fine. We'll as long as they keep bringing movies. I, Pat, Pat is uh, he's looking forward to The Matrix now, so we got to keep doing this for at least seven more years because that'll get us to 99. So, All right, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Check out our list of 400. There's plenty there. So many, you'll forget you even watched them. Uh, but be excellent to each other and go watch some good movies. We'll see you back here next time. 